Wrestling Geeks Hey guys, how you doing out there? This is your pal Dane House. And you know what I got for you is another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks and Alliance. A show in which me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and provide you with reviews for, you know, said topics within wrestling and also the uh the the shows that we go over. So this is our, our super Saturday edition. That's when we record it. And we are going over SmackDown uh, from last night, and we're going to go over the Wednesday Night Wars and also review uh, the pay-per-view that was Survivor Series. Uh, Best of the best, I think, was their stupid code line. One day I'm going to track all the dumb nicknames they gave to every show and try to use it in one sentence. Uh, So just, you know, get ready for that. But anyway, someone that I'm sure is really intrigued in me trying to attempt that on the air, my co-hostess with the mostest. Uh, Christopher Brother Ray Patton fucked up that intro. <laughs> that sounds a bit like a suicide mission, man. If I'm being honest, simply because like like that sounds like the guy that always tries to record all the wins and losses across all wrestling brands. <laughs> the amount of names WWE's had over the past years. Uh, I'm doing good, man. Hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving. That's out there listening. Uh, Dane, how was your week? My week was good, man. You know, I had to work a couple days, but they're pretty uh, less strenuous days at work. We got a bunch of stuff done, and I've been off work since uh, since Wednesday, so it's been nice. Um, just uh, hanging out, if you will, eating food, hanging out with family. It's good times, man, and uh, watching watching wrestling, I would say. Yeah, very similar for me. I was uh, I got I, I've been off since Tuesday, so I had one extra day, and uh, I don't go back until Wednesday of next week. So could just get got some video gaming in. Played uh, Hypnospace was a game I played that was pretty cool. Started playing Payday 2. I'm a little late to that party, but it's it's a lot of fun as well if you like heist missions. There's a John Wick character that you can play as, Dane. What? So wait, wait. Explain to me what this Payday Two is. It one of those free ones that everyone's playing now, or is that like a new game game? Well, it's on Game Pass. If you have an Xbox or if you play on PC, you should be able to grab it off Game Pass. But uh, essentially, it is a heist game where you either play. It's a four-player team. You can play, you know, with your friends, or you can play with a computer AI. And uh, essentially, you go and do different heist jobs. So like bank heist, jewelry store heist, uh, mall heist, that kind of thing. And it's kind of kind of shoots a little bit like Call of Duty as far as the control layout and scheme and and how it feels. Well, um, I'm I'm always interested in some new games. I'm lying. I don't know why the fuck I say that. I play the same fucking video game over and over again. Um, I'm pretty bored, uh, bored, boring, if you will, gamer. I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you've you've definitely logged a lot of times uh, time into the WWE games. That's for sure. I can't wait until I have a competitor with the new AEW one to be able to bounce back between. But it's funny because 
since everyone rejected their last attempt of the actual 2K games and then the battle game, battleground game just completely went to shits. The last one that Ukes did is the one that I play, which is uh, 2018. That's the one I think I was playing with you, and people are still creating characters for that. So I just have no plans on playing anything from 2K Sports when it, when it involved, or revolves around WWE, I should say. Yeah, hopefully they them taking a year off this year, being able to set the roster a little bit better and maybe putting some more thought into their story modes uh, will make that next release a little better. But we, we saw the last one. It was not great. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Uh, all right, so uh, let's let's start getting into this, man. Um, position uh, the situation. Sh- should we talk about anything with Raw? I mean, there wasn't a lot that went on, but we can kind of talk about some of the details of it. Did you even watch it? I did watch uh, the majority of Raw. I think the biggest thing is Braun Strowman's suspension for headbutting not being part of the championship title picture. And apparently that is because he may be legitimately injured. So they're going to have to find, see how bad his injury is and, and try to work him back into that title picture at some point in time. Or at least that is the rumor going around. And then, the you know, I, I would say the Sheamus-Riddle match was probably my favorite match of the night. Yeah. I also like the Keith Lee-Bobby Lashley one as well. Um, I think they, they were both hard-hitting. I just, to me... And I, I was listening to, um, whatchamacallit, God, now I bu- busted open, and Bully Ray was saying about the art of selling and that some wrestlers will do it continuously throughout the match because obviously in the Sheamus match, he was working on uh, Riddle's exposed foot, which is one of his biggest downfalls uh, within wrestling. And he was really, really doing it well, but then right at the end, and especially afterwards, it wasn't like it was anything. It was like... Um, so that's kind of a nitpicky concept, but I thought that Lashley had a great match with Keith Lee. I thought that Keith brought him to a good match. It just seems like they all kind of had some uh, some weird endings to them. I'm trying to think of uh, what happened to Lashley exactly. Oh, oh, uh, MVP hit the ring and disqualified so that, so that he wouldn't get the loss, which I don't understand how that makes any fucking sense whatsoever. Uh, Matt Riddle got a straight win. And then obviously we had the last match between AJ Styles and Randy Orton, which was going good, but got interrupted by The Fiend. That's where the positioning Randy Orton, they're going in that direction. At least they're out of the title picture for now, and it looks like AJ is going to be positioned. Um, you know, I, I would say, what do you think between AJ, between Matt Riddle and Keith Lee? I feel like AJ versus Drew McIntyre is the bigger marquee match. It's the bigger marquee match, but I, I personally I would rather see Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre yep. since they kind of set that feud into motion. Uh, originally, I think they were going to go with Braun versus uh, Drew McIntyre, and, and like I said, I think there's an injury that possibly caused him to have that headbutt angle that he had on Monday Night Raw, which when he comes back, he'll be able to position off of that if he is legitimately injured. Like I said, that is the rumor right now. But, yeah, as far as the bigger marquee match, I mean, I think the two that come out of that are, are Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre. I think a lot of people would like to see that. But, you know, AJ Styles is still a top name. So for, like, your casual fan, AJ Styles being in the title picture is never a uh, never a bad thing. Especially – it's, uh, it's a good thing. I have to keep on doing <laughs> that every time you say that. 
uh, and you also have the uh, caveat of AJ Styles having his giant bodyguard. Uh, is it Boa? No, they're calling they're calling him Jordan, uh, like because he has a very long last name. So I think it was like Jordan Oge is what they're calling him now, which is kind of it's 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 cool sounding, I guess. Um, or Jordan O, that's what they were calling him. He's got a difficult last name to pronounce. I don't know why I thought Boa for some reason. I guess I'm still pissed off about that NXT storyline from last week. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll get no, to that yeah. later. But the uh, the him being involved in a Drew McIntyre style match, you can set up things where he actually gets to wrestle Drew McIntyre, and then you get two big men slapping meat, as uh, Biggie would say, and and maybe we'll actually get to see him get in the ring and expand upon that character. So there's cool stuff you could do with AJ Styles. But overall, it was an average Raw, and the Matt Riddle Sheamus match was my favorite match of the night. They actually gave him like 20 minutes to work, which yeah, I was which was surprised. awesome. And they beat James the shit out of very each other. Stiff. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> Two other highlights I wanted to say. Well, not really highlight. Something was questionable about the booking. If the New Day is done, I know that we have an abysmal tag team division. But if the New Day is really out of it from their loss of the Street Profits, and if they got them because of the double count out, you know, we had uh, with Cedric and Shelton, we had uh, MVP saying, you don't want to win it like this, and convincing him to restart the match. I don't know why they didn't put it on uh, Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander just to change it up a little bit. And then you can use, you know, I think that basically Kingston and Woods, without the title, you can always put it back on them. But they're marquee enough to be something of a feud with whoever they go against, just like the title itself. So it brings a little bit more dynamic to their abysmal title division. So I was uh, I was kind of skeptical on that. And I thought MVP, he, he did a good job kind of calling him out and then later on would fuck up with Bobby Lashley. So I don't know what the hell is going on with the Hurt business. So that was suppo- it wasn't supposed to be a double count out with that finish. Um, apparently they just fucked up and did get back in the ring in, the t- in time and the ref called it as a shoot and just did a double count out. Oh. So that was all improv because good job at mvp for fucking be able to cover for that yeah the new day did not do as good of a job i think maybe they were supposed to win by count out and it or they were supposed to either either or i mean if they wanted to protect the hurt business i would assume that new day loses by count out which is not that makes more sense then but that's that's why it came off all weird apparently that's what Meltzer was saying is that it it was a shoot count out because the wrestlers fucked up essentially yeah, and my last moment of uh, reflection from Raw was definitely I liked this new version of Alexa. Like, say what you want about uh, kind of the Firefly Funhouse and the Fiend kind of losing a little bit. I think that she has really done well so far with this character, and I loved her manipulating Nikki and, like, start crying and shit like that just to fucking destroy her at the end of it. And and the the things that she's doing, I think this is a new cool incarnation for Alexa Bliss. I think it's good for Alexa Bliss. It's terrible for Nikki Cross because Nikki Cross looks yeah. like an idiot right now. Um, and I guess it makes sense with WWE trying to create this character with AEW having Abaddon coming in. You have Susie and Impact. It seems like everyone has some sort of mystery. And Rosemary. And Rosemary. It seems like you know most of the other wrestling companies do have this kind of female character. And putting her with a fiend 
with a little bit of history or tie-in they tried to do with Braun. I think it's fine. It gives Alexa something to do outside of just being a tag team partner to Nikki Cross, which is, you know, she's a former two-time women's champion. There was a there was a point in time where she was pushed very heavily as a top heel. Yeah. So for me, this is better than what they were doing with her, uh, even though I wasn't a huge fan of that Nikki Cross, Alexa Bliss segment. Yep. Well, uh, that was pretty much raw. Uh, do you, j- just out, uh, out of curiosity, I kind of didn't ask you beforehand, but do you have any information of uh, some of the storylines and where they're going with New Japan, or have you been keeping up with it lately? So New Japan is doing the tag tournament right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do not have the point scores in front of me. Um, but I, I know that Tanahashi's team lost last night, and they're apparently not faring very, very well in the tag tournament, which I wouldn't expect them to. Uh, Who's it? Who is that, it? Him and who? I want to say it's Tanahashi and Goto. Um, like I said, I don't have the results. I, I haven't I haven't watched, I haven't watched a, whole lot of it. a whole lot of it. Yeah. I have watched. Uh, I haven't chance. I've watched. Uh, I did watch the latest episode of the American New Japan show. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Is it New Japan Strong? Yes. Um, they did an eight-man tag team tag. match with uh, Filthy Tom, uh, PJ Black, Rocky Romero. They had a bunch of guys in there, but essentially they have. They're seemingly building Filthy Tom as their top heel, which is intriguing. Uh, in I his love group. that. So he has a little bit of a faction going on. That's probably the highlight for me of New Japan, because they haven't had a top, uh, to me, a top heel for that brand. They they were bringing Kenta in and every three or four weeks. And he has a briefcase still that, that's up for be- or, uh, a challenge for U.S. champion uh, against John Moxley at Wrestle Kingdom. But isn't it someone trying to like get that from him, Jay White or someone? No, 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 no. They're on the same team. It can't be Jay White. No, that's the, uh, you're thinking of the G1 briefcase. Oh, whatever. I thought he had, I thought he had a uh, title shot for winning the tournament in the U.S. uh, for the U.S. title. He is. They're just not doing the, they're not doing that briefcase. Yeah, they're not doing that storyline with with him. But But, uh, what I I was getting at is Filthy Tom being their top heel that can always be in America. That's, that's not a bad person to pick. No, and actually, and especially good, good up on uh, Corp Bauer because MLW uh, is definitely reaping from this because their match at Fusion, I think it was already filmed. Their first episode was Tom Lawler versus Rocky Romero, who obviously Rocky works for New Japan. He's one of the head bookers over there, along with Kaido. So um, cool. That's some uh, that's some definite cool crossover appeal with the American. Uh, based uh, New Japan wrestlers, stars, uh, being able to tangle it up with uh, with MLW and all the people they have. Yeah, I think it, I think that's really awesome, and I hope that we see more crossover eventually. Um, maybe Filthy Tom goes to Japan. That would be cool. Or even if we get uh-huh. some Jap- Japanese superstars in MLW for a little bit, that would some neat stuff they can do there. So it, it from smaller wrestling federations. Absolutely. And we're always talking about inclusion and everyone working together. So it seems like a lot of the companies have each other's backs. But, um, yeah, that's 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 pretty much all I could think about. I, I remember watching the last episode of Ring of Honor, but I forgot essentially what happened within the storyline. So um, Impact's doing some interesting shit. I'll just I'll just put it that way. 
but we do have Jazz coming back to team with Jordan Grace in this tag tournament. She's sticking around apparently for a minute, so that's pretty awesome. And we also have Motor City Machine Guns. Alex Shelley is 100% healthy. So now um, they're coming back into the title picture going after – I think they're going after the North first, but they eventually want to take the titles away from the uh, Good Brothers. So we'll probably have some pretty cool matches along with that. I'm just – I'm wondering what their contract is because, you know, it could be nothing. Maybe it's just because they have their permission or they would know that they wouldn't sue them. But motion machine guns have been brought up quite a few times by the Young Bucks – and also by uh, Top Flight in, in promos as of recently on Dynamite. And maybe I'm just hoping, but I would love for them, even for a temporary stay, come over and do some stuff on AEW against the Bucks. That would be uh, pretty fucking awesome. And other people, too. Yeah, I mean, I love I mean, their I'm... two matches and Impact originally. So I would love to see the, the Bucks now with all of the wrestling they have under their belt uh, against the Motor City Machine Guns. It's been a long time. But that, yeah, that would be awesome. Um, I don't know. A lot of people with Impact have been signing like six months, con- six month contracts or per appearance contracts. So there could I be something Gene there. Storm has. Yep. And well, EC- we'll have to find out. Yeah, EC3 also had a contract like that, right? Yeah, uh, and also the Good Brothers, they can go. They're going to stay there for a while, but they can go to New Japan if they want. So they're definitely be making that trip eventually. I would, I would think. You know, once everything gets uh back in order, if you will. Although the thing is, honestly, with, with with the awesome concept of New Japan Strong, and it might not have everything that New Japan, like with their stars, but they have some good stuff. They got Tamatanga and Tonga Low. I'd love to see them fucking have another match against the Good Brothers and shit or involve some type of situations like that. Oh, here's a good question. Did you see... Uh, yeah, I sent you the video of Sin uh, uh, kept on calling out Ethan Page and saying that he had, you know, um, a phenomenal person to go against him. And then Hornswoggle, in which I swear to God, Chris, I thought in my head the last time we saw him, either as a baby or in that battle royal on Impact, the uh, pay-per-view, not too long ago. I was like, he looks like a fucking miniature AJ Styles. <laughs> and they come with this TNA music. And it's 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 torn swaggle. I thought that was actually pretty funny. I'm sure people weren't amused, but I was. I giggled. <laughs> it was funny because it's Carl Anderson's involvement. Um, I I think we can go a little bit without seeing Hornswoggle though, right? <laughs> Tell his publicist that. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, good for him. I'm glad the guy's getting paid. So you know, not try not. I'm not trying to take anything away from Hornswoggle. It's just uh, the joke will run its course, much like it did in WWE. If if you continue to do it week after week, because he was in both the Talking Shop of Manias, he was on AEW, he's done uh, Impact pay per view, and he was on this week's Impact. I'm glad he's getting involved and being used, but uh, yeah, that joke that joke will wear itself out very quickly. You're over it. I get it. I completely get it. Um, all right. Well, uh, I think that's that's pretty much – there's not a lot of news this week, so I guess we can go right into our review for Survivor Series. Um, I apologize, everyone, for the last show. I We kind of mentioned it and went into it a little bit. We'll be able to make up for it right now, uh, but I kind of forgot after we talked about everything and, and got to the end of Survivor Series to really go into detail of my predictions uh, for the Undertaker farewell. I'm kind of glad that didn't happen because none of my predictions ended up happening, and it was kind of well, 
we'll get to it when we get to it. But let's talk about overall thoughts on Survivor Series, Chris. I thought that if you stayed away from the traditional Survivor Series matches um, and even kind of the abysmal Bobby Lashley, uh, uh, Sami Zayn match, which was fine, I thought the best matches were the tag match, uh, the Sasha Oscar match, and then the last match with Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre, which I really, really liked. And they were able to build that in a pretty short time with their weird decision to, you know, flop it around between Randy Orton and him. So um, I thought that was good. Undertaker stuff, I understand that they had a lot to, you know, it, it's just a fucking weird time for this to happen. And it seems like such a perfect timing based on the 30-year reflection Survivor Series. But I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll get into detail about that, but I was kind of disappointed. Uh, what, what were your overall thoughts about Survivor Series this year? I thought the Survivor Series matches themselves were not very good. Um, there was definitely some weird booking in both. Uh, I liked the women's match with Asuka and Sasha. thought that was a very good match. Not the best match I've ever seen them have. Uh, but very good. They both worked really hard. I thought it was was uh, a, a good match. I think it could have been better. Uh, and I, I, for your main event with Roman and uh, Roman and um, Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre. <laughs> uh, with Roman and Drew McIntyre, I actually really, really liked the match. Let's say about a quarter of the way through. It started really, really slow, like a Triple H. Yeah. Randy Orton match, but once it got going, uh, it was really, really entertaining. I, I don't know that Roman needed all of the extracurricular activity. Like, I didn't mind the low blow or the ref bump, but with Jay coming out just to get punched in the face and and die, basically, I, I get why they were trying to do that, but they had already built to that storyline of him getting accosted uh, on SmackDown by him losing in the Survivor Series match. So I didn't feel like he needed to be there, but I, I get it. Uh, outside of that, yeah, man, good stuff for the most part. Uh, the Undertaker thing, I probably would have been more upset about it if they didn't give us the Stone Cold interview right after, which I thought was was great. That's a very good point, but let's get into this bad boy. All right, so we started off with uh, – it's it's the Battle Royal wasn't that bad. I hated the fucking ending because it's been done to death over every fucking company – I'm sick of the guy that is that you know, you know, because you remember they're they've been out on the floor the whole entire time. They get didn't get eliminated most of the time. They fucking announce it and say it, uh, um, and you just know that that's inevitably what's going to be happening. But the stars in this match, I will say, listen to this group of people. You know, obviously the Miz won it, but you have John Morrison, well, Kalisto, Rey Mysterio, Roberto Carrillo. Uh, Angel Garza, Cedric Alexander, Ricochet, Shelton Benjamin, Murphy, uh, Bobby Roode, Dolph Ziggler, Apollo Crews, Shinsuke Nakamura, Elias, Jeff Hardy, Chad Gable, and Dominic Mysterio. So um, there's a few, obviously, that are definitely on a lower tier than some of these guys, but damn, like... I don't know if that just means what they're not doing with certain people or if that's how... Uh, how big they have, I guess, their their mid-card division. But either way, Miz won. It came down to it with De uh, Dominic Mysterio, Jeff Hardy, Elias, Chad Gable. 
and Jeff Hardy and Elias inevitably took each other out. Um, and maybe the, I think there was Shinsuke involved. I don't remember, but they were trying to get someone. They were, Jack Gable and Dominic kind of worked together for a little while. They had some shine. Actually, I think a lot of guys that kind of needed to have some cool moment, a lot of them got a chance to, but this is Battle Royals, so it's kind of just an awkward fucking concept altogether. Either way, it looked like Dominic had one, and then Miz came in and threw him out, and he got out. They announced it. I mean, it was it was very obvious that he was going to come back into the match, so eh, what are you going to do? Uh, How do you feel about this Battle Royal, Chris? I disliked the finish, especially because the announcers pointed out what was going on. Uh, I know they did that because it's the USA TV audience is the pre-show. I mean, it's to get people to get the network, right? So that's why they had all the stars here, I would assume. But I would have been fine with either Dominic Mysterio or Chad Gable going over because I think it would have done more for them. Right now, Miz is holding the briefcase, and he's already kind of made himself in general i don't know that he needed to win here unless they were just like hey people that watch usa know who the miz is so we'll have him win uh that's the only reason i reasoning i could come up with this really makes me like impacts format a lot better where the last two have to pin each other to win i would either do something like that going forward or have a count out like if you're not back in the ring within 10 seconds you're eliminated um, just because I'm also tired of seeing it. So I, I hope AEW adopts that, or I, I just never see WWE adopting it, but I would like to see some of these other companies adopt it because it it is getting old, and I get you can build storylines off of it, but uh, this kind of started by someone fucking up, <laughs> like Curtis Axel not getting eliminated properly, <laughs> for instance. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, let, let's start into another decaying concept that's definitely been outdated. When we start the actual show, we get the men's elimination match. Um, we got, you know, the teams of AJ Styles, Keith Lee, Sheamus, Braun Strowman, and Riddle um, against Kevin Owens, Jey Uso, King Corbin, and Seth Rollins, and Otis. Um, so this match... Here's the weirdest fucking thing. Instead of having Seth Rollins lose to Murphy, be disgraced, and then make his exit a couple nights before after he has an awesome match, they make him come into this and just sacrifice himself to fucking Sheamus and say, for the greater good, kicks in the face, done, and now he's going to be out for like a, couple, a month or two um, since Becky's uh, about to have the baby. So a uh, very interesting way of doing it. We had Kevin Owens that was going apeshit crazy on everyone uh, and just giving everyone stunners. And then he finally uh, was taken out by AJ Styles from a phenomenal forearm. Uh, he was pinned second. So then we had, a, you know, if you can't tell a trend, this is a lot of SmackDown people. King Corbin, who started running a rough shop, uh, taken out by Riddle, pinfall, Otis. And Braun Strowman, one of my favorite parts was when this actually happened between the two of them. Then Braun got out and Keith Lee got in. And then they actually started doing like wrestling maneuvers as two big guys. Because Otis is actually good at that. And Keith Lee is just a fucking powerhouse. Uh, but Otis would lose uh, by Braun Strowman. Uh, and then we would have uh, Jey Uso uh, lose by Keith Lee. So 
it, they they swept them. They literally all of them survived. Ross sweeps it. We know that this is actually kind of using the storyline that Roman feels that Jey Uso, being the last, couldn't even hold it down. That he claims that he tried to get everyone to work together, but obviously there was no leader within the SmackDown group. Not that there was much of one in Raw, but AJ Styles was claiming that. And, um, you know, this is his fault. And he basically told him and Jimmy to get the fuck out of here uh, before he took them off the table. So that was not a, he, he, you know, Roman Reigns was not happy. And uh, Jimmy or Jey Uso would try to make up for it later on the night. But what did you think about the men's elimination match? I thought there was a lot of good in-ring stuff. I didn't necessarily like the fact that SmackDown got swept. Uh, they also were very formulaic with the way the people got eliminated. As soon as they would start to get a comeback, you kind of knew they were getting eliminated. <laughs> like everyone that got eliminated, it was that. Uh, I love Jey Uso trying to take on everyone. Kind of made him feel sympathetic because you knew him losing was going to cause issues with Roman. I liked Paul Heyman selling Jey Uso losing in the back, just looking like, oh man, Roman's going to be so pissed. Uh, that was kind of, that was good. That Seth Rollins thing was stupid to me. Like who, who was he making a sacrifice for? Was he making a sacrifice for the raw team to win because he hates SmackDown? Like, I, I don't know. Hey, dumb. we never had, uh, with all that shit, we never had, um, Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle in the same, uh, time in the ring. So that's good. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess that <laughs> I guess that's one way to look at it. <laughs> I liked uh, Kevin Owens attacking Matt Riddle's foot and then putting him in a heel hook and headbutting his foot <laughs> to cause additional damage. That was funny. Uh, that I mean, Keith Lee looked good in this. I would have just had Keith Lee eliminate more than one person. I guess how many he only he he got the last pin. But if you were trying to get him over as like the powerhouse of that team, I may have had him eliminate like two or three people. Uh, outside of that, it was what it was. They did a clean sweep. It set up that tournament on Raw we kind of talked about. I don't know what this does for anyone on the SmackDown team. Because <laughs> they just ended up looking like a bunch of fucking geeks. I don't know. I think that they don't care overall, and this is just to put more strain on uh, Jey Uso since that's like their number one thing, which probably doesn't help anyone that was a part of their team, but then what are you going to do? Um, all right, Street well, Profits. I, oh, well, sorry. Wouldn't it have made more sense, though, if it came down to like Jey Uso versus two people? Yeah. As far as Roman's reaction, you know, like I think there's better ways to even book what they were going for without making your entire SmackDown. All of the stars on your SmackDown roster look weak, which is essentially what they did outside of uh, Roman. And I guess Daniel Bryan, who wasn't on the pay-per-view. Yeah. All right. So we have the Street Profits, uh, Angel Dawkins, Montez Ford, the SmackDown Tag Team Champions going against the New Day, Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. Uh, with Big E, you know, uh, for the Raw Tag Team uh, Championships or the champions of the Raw Tag Team Championships. Um, cool entrance. It's so funny that they were like, you know, we all cried and stuff like that, and now they're back together, which I expected this type of stuff to happen, of not having a complete split, um, you know, with the New Day. So they came out, and this uh, they're, they're promoting the new Gears of War, um, they gave Xavier and also the New Day like some DLC 
uh, with them in it. And they wore those outfits to the ring. I thought that was pretty fucking cool. And uh, Street Profits just came out doing their thing. You know, and these guys had a pretty damn good tag match, man. Uh, you can tell that not not necessarily simil- similarities in the styles, but they really worked well together. And uh, it was a fun match. And I think that they made the right decision, Chris, of, of Kofi and, and Xavier, who have had this illustrious tag team career. Kofi's been a world champion. Biggie's been an IC champion, even though he's not a part of this match. But you understand what I'm saying. They've stacked up some stuff with the New Day. They can get a loss. This really helps put over the Street Profits. And if there's any type of little qualities that this stupid Survivor Series should do is kind of give credibility uh, to someone else, I say, like someone that's a little bit newer. Um, That wouldn't work out with Roman and Drew, but we haven't gotten there yet. But um, I thought this was a good tag match. Can't remember any detail like some of the – the crazy shit that happened in this match. I know that there was a bunch though. Kofi, I do remember being extremely aggressive in this and I really love that. Uh, but just good stuff all around. Uh, what did you think about this match? 13 minutes and 40 seconds. I thought it was a very, very good tag match. My favorite spot in the match is something I hadn't ever seen Xavier Woods do before, which is he press slammed Montez Ford into a gut buster, which was a really cool spot. Um, Obviously, you get the huge frog splash by Montez, which is just incredible to see every time he does it. Lots of great back and forth. Uh, we got to see Kofi hit message in a bottle, which I hadn't seen in a while. Uh, this was a good tag match. And uh, I like the ending with the New Day and them kind of hugging it out. Obviously, not having any beef because they're both baby faces. It works with those two teams. It doesn't always work, but in this situation, I think that ending worked very well, and like you said, I think the right team went over, especially because SmackDown has to win something on this show. Um, which I guess did SmackDown see? They didn't give you a total counter of who actually won Survivor Series because I guess no. they don't care care anymore. But I know that. So you get a SmackDown team wins here, then Roman wins, and they, so it's tied. It ended in a tie, I think. I could be wrong, but I think it ended up ending in a tie, which is weird. But uh, yeah, I like this. I like the finish. I think that's good for, you know, the Street Profits. The only problem with the tag division in general is it is so lean. So yep. even even though you put them over here until Jimmy comes back, I don't know who the Street Profits are actually going to be going against. I guess Sheamus and Cesaro forever. I don't know. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, one thing I will say, what are you going to say? I was going to say apologies. I forgot that Sheamus is now on Raw, even though I just talked about him on Raw. So I, fuck, I guess Nakamura and Cesaro is the big tag team on SmackDown. Uh, God, I hate that fucking pairing. I don't know, man. They really just need to drop the fucking two shows with the tag division and just do one fucking tag division. And the fact that they've removed heavy machinery out of the mix. We don't have the fucking Usos. You know, we don't have the Viking experience or whatever the fuck bullshit name they call that. You know, they, they've done such a number on their own tag division. Some self-inflicted. It just it's it's so abysmal. It's stupid. Yeah, agreed. It's unfortunate. I know some of this is injury related, though, with the Viking Raiders, for instance. Yep. And um, and obviously the Usos, I think when Jimmy is back, they'll be a, a, a tag team again. Yeah, I was going to also say just last thing about this. 
what the heck's his name? Um, Angelo Dawkins premiered a new move that was really fucking cool and innovative where it's like a, I don't know, it's almost like a rotating neck breaker that he does where he holds them up. And um, he did it again um, last night, and I'm digging that. I, I really like those guys. I think they're really good. His his spine buster is pretty fucking awesome. So good up on uh, that match, and good up on the Street Profits for getting that win. Next match was not as big of a fan of Bobby Lashley, who's already had a very awkward feud with Sami Zayn involving his sisters and all that terrible shit beforehand. But he's been pretty dominant as the United States champion. But he had MVP, Cedric Alexander, and Shelton Benjamin all around him. To me, Sammy should be the chicken shit heel. If you put people around the ring, it just looks like Bobby Lashley needs that advantage, and he doesn't. He should be able to run through Sammy uh, by himself. And Sammy actually did pretty good, but eventually, uh, due to some, some not necessarily interference, but taking his eye off the ball uh, from from either MVP or one of the other guys, uh, he, you know, um, Bobby Lashley got him in the uh, the full Nelson and made him tap out. So there you go. Um, yeah, out of the actual single matches, or at least the, the title for title matches, this was my least favorite. What did you think, Chris? I agree with you. The majority of this match was Sami Zayn going outside of the ring and trying to make people hit him so that he could get a DQ win, which was very weird. Uh, if but I, there's one spot he did that I really liked, which is when he fake tripped over MVP and said MVP tripped him. <laughs> and the ref's looking right at him. He's like, no, no, he didn't. I thought that was, you know, clever. But I, I agree with you. Bobby Lashley was undefeated headed into this for like a pretty long streak here. So I, I guess the idea was to try to protect Sammy. But then he just gets beat by submission anyway, so I, I don't know. It's a weird one. It, nothing was terrible about it outside of the booking. Yep, I agree. Uh, well, the next match I really liked, uh, you know, we've had a history with Asuka and Sasha. When she was a heel, Asuka has beaten her every single time. And it was nice, and I thought that Sasha actually needed this win in the uh, SmackDown Women's Championship versus the Raw Women's Championship. Uh, Oscar and Sasha, uh, you know, the two champions collided. They had about 13 minute match um, and just good stuff. Very hard hitting. Um, these uh, these women work really well together. I, I think I put over every single one of their matches they've had. And I like I said, I think that Sasha really inevitably needed that win. So uh, I'm kind of glad that it happened. Uh, and now I guess we're off to the uh, the next thing. I don't think Carmella didn't attack her after this. She did that the the night before during the the uh, contract signing, right? Yeah, it was the crazy? night before. No, it was the night before it, because we talked. Remember, we talked about Oscar just standing there, like not yes, knowing what to do because right. it was a very weird situation because they're both baby faces. I think it was the right decision to to have Sasha win here. Like I said, this isn't the best match I've seen these two have, but it wasn't a bad match by any means. One of the better matches on the show. I will say, uh, you know, Sasha winning is probably the right thing to do because I think she's more over than Asuka is right now. And, and not because they've diminished Asuka, it's because the level of the, the shit they're putting Asuka in is not a high enough level to get her back over with the fans. But I will say that the way they positioned her and used her more 
as an aggressive character that's someone to beat as of lately. It doesn't. I don't think that this loss really hurts her. But I think you're right. I think that Sasha has a level of popularity that is a little bit more marketable. So, and she's finally, I guess, become babyface or whatever the fuck they're trying to push her as. So, yeah. The, the, only, pro- the only problem with that is she's a terrible babyface without Charlotte. She is. <laughs> so, uh, we'll see if it works out. I, I, uh, I'm just, I'm more disappointed in the fact that coming out of this, Oscar is going to be in a fucking tag team match. That's, that's what it's looking like. We'll have to find out. All right, so uh, we have uh, Team Raw of the uh, women's elimination match. Uh, Nia, Jax, Shayna Baszler, Lana, Lacey Evans, and Peyton Royce. So basically, you know, at least three ladies that shouldn't be able to get fucked with, and then Lana and Peyton Royce. Uh, going against Team SmackDown, Bianca Belair, Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, Bailey, and Natalia. And like I said, I thought that they had the advantage based on the talent they had involved. Obviously, I don't even care. No offense to Dana, no offense to Mandy. If you took Peyton and Lacey, which I think Lacey is a powerhouse potentially, that would have been, I think, worse with uh, Mandy. Just, just you know, breaking off of the competitors themselves and how much they're booked. But um, I was wrong about who was going to win. I thought that there would be... Uh, situation um in which you know shit would explode but they kind of swerved me and i i was uh tickled by the swerve i guess you could say but we had bailey who was supposed to be the team captain Payne royce submit or pins her we know that they're pushing bailey now in a match with uh bianca belair or at least a uh, feud with her but i don't know how her getting a loss the first loss to Peyton royce is really going to help uh, even Peyton, I don't, I did whatever, but Peyton shortly got eliminated by Natalia. Uh, L- Lacey Evans eliminated Natalia after that. Uh, we had a really weird thing with a pinfall when Lacey Evans tagged in Shayna Baszler. Shayna was dominating and then, uh, uh, took out Ruby Riot. So, you know, uh, then she's gone and then, uh, Lacey Evans comes back in and, Lacey Evans taken out by Liv Morgan. Then Liv Morgan's taken out by Nia Jax. And we have Shayna Baszler, uh, Nia Jax, and Bianca Belair, all DQ'd uh, from fighting on the outside. And you would think, you know, how how are they going to win? Well, at some point in the match, old Lana uh, uh, tagged herself in. She actually wasn't doing bad against Peyton, then got, uh, you know, Got the advantage uh, on her a bit and then tagged, you know, they tagged her back in. Shayna did and said her and Nia Jax were like, don't move off the stairs. She looks like she was about to start crying. And because she did that, she was the last person and won the match. And everyone was like, what the fuck? Nia didn't go through a table. There was nothing like that. This was my least favorite match, even with the battle royal on the card. Honestly, thought this was dumb. What do you think, Chris? I there's some spots in this match I liked. I liked Bianca Belair kind of showing up and and having what I would call a, a strong showing, regardless of getting DQ'd. I mean I know they were trying to protect her. It's weird that you would. Have, I mean you could protect her by just having her fucking win the thing, since the three people that you had left at the end are going to be in the tag team division, from what I can tell. Uh, I liked the spot with Shayna Baszler and Ruby Riot. 
the that finish there because it showed good teamwork between Naya and Shayna, where Naya kind of distracted the referee, and by the time the referee turned back around, um, Ruby was choked out. But as Corey pointed out, that was like a ten count because of how long her shoulders were down on the mat because basically Ruby bridged her into a pin while getting choked out. So that was kind of innovative. Um, Bianca taking Naya over the, the guardrail was, was neat. The Lana thing was stupid. And I, I think I messaged you immediately and was like, why is Lana standing on the stairs crying? And is she going <laughs> to win this thing? <laughs> and she did. Well, Nostradamus, uh, you're right. It, it was fucking weird, too, because she celebrated like she had just beaten the team single-handedly afterwards. <laughs> Which was very odd. And then continued that on so, Raw with her promo. So they're trying to get her over as a sympathetic babyface. It's working, right? I mean, I'm, no. <laughs> <laughs> um it's good that like Alvarez and filthy Tom don't review this show or she would have gotten geek of the week, like uh, two months in a row. Oh, uh, Brian already told uh, Vinny how much he thought she was a geek. So, um, listen, one of the, this is not, not, I'm not a huge Alana fan, but this isn't her fault. They like, <laughs> this no. is and damn it. She's trying. And I don't like hearing about, the shit about people going after her online like some of these fucking trollish pieces of shit that say terrible things to people they don't know online um just fuck off like she's trying she's a damn good manager and she's good on the mic when she's being a heel manager she's been trying really hard to try to become a wrestler for a long time they're definitely fucking with her because of rusev being in another company i.e Mero. and um you know it, it's just like I hope that Dana Brooke gets better. She needs to get better on the mic. Lana needs to get better at the ring. That's like they're both of their opposites. And uh, I, I just don't like that people really fucking say shitty things to other people they don't know. And people have feelings and shit. So, you know, you have this girl. She's not with her husband all the time anymore. She's kind of become a, a lone wolf. She probably knows the office doesn't like her and shit like that. So, I don't know. I just kind of feel bad for her. Yeah, and that video she put out was very heartbreaking, talking about how she basically lost the person that she's always traveled with and been with since she started at the company. And now her only interaction is through social media, and she just gets berated online. She's, like, crying. I mean, that that's your sympathetic baby face. That's your actual storyline is that people are addicted to Lana online. Run with that and have her have actual fucking wins or something. Like, it's not Lana's yeah. fault they don't know how to fucking book her. <laughs> Like, nope. <laughs> All right. Well, last match, I think match of the night, Roman Reigns, the SmackDown Universal Champion with Paul Heyman going against Drew McIntyre, the Raw WWE Champion. And I think based on what they did, they might have went a little bit overboard with the super kick from Jay. I think this was the best way to protect Drew McIntyre and also you know, have Roman win and kind of in his devious, more uh, basically Michael Corleone style of which he's going with this character. But this is a hard-hitting fucking match. These guys nailed the shit out of each other. Um, just a lot of stuff, like spears right off the bat. You know, they, they went through their whole entire arsenal. 
sometimes when Drew McIntyre, like, he had two different headbutts. The first one didn't look like it did shit. The second one looked like it fucking hit him right on the goddamn dome. So uh, those Glasgow kicks, man. But um, I think some of the most impressive stuff was when Roman got pissed and he went outside. He fucking took Samoan, dropped uh, him through the announce booth, waited, and then speared him through. Not just like a little siding of the goddamn thing. The whole entire panel, which I have to believe it's easier to take out some of those smaller sections in the corner than, you know, having enough force to push this guy through it to break it. The whole entire fucking thing over. Um, I liked it where Drew got back in the ring and somehow while Roman was going for a spear, he got his wits back together and fucking gave him the Claymore. Uh, but then he rolled on the outside. We have uh, Jay Uso enter um, and just cause a distraction. Oh, yeah, that caused a ref bump uh, when he got when he rolled to the floor from the uh, from the Claymore. Uh, so the ref was out of it. Then we had Jay Uso get involved. Uh, he he first gave him a super kick, and then Roman came in with Superman punch, and then choked him out. As soon as uh you know that happened, Jay got the referee in. Him and Paul did, and uh, you know Drew didn't submit. He didn't do anything. He just was completely knocked unconscious from something that's becoming a dominant finisher with Roman Reigns. And afterwards, there was still some aggravation in the look of Roman, but he embraced Jay. But stuff is still not good when we, once we get to uh, SmackDown of what happened last night. But um, I thought this was a good match. I think you're right. I think it was slow at first. But once they really started going at it, and it was just like basically power move after power move, trying to keep the other guy fucking down, and both, you know, doing really well. I also love... This is the second time he did it. This is apparently uh, Drew McIntyre is like a family heirloom of the, uh, and it could possibly not be, but um, of his Scottish heritage and his uh, his uncle's sword uh, that's really old or some shit like that. So I like that he's taking that and using that for the entrance. I just thought that they squared up, and they look like they look like two stars, man, and they look intimidating. They look believable, and I think that we will eventually get a pretty big Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns WrestleMania match in the future if they keep on building them the way they have. But I think that they made the right decisions. I don't know if they needed involvement from Jay. I think I agree with you on that. But I think that this was a good way of making Roman not look too much, too, not too chicken shit. Like he still dominated for a good portion of it and he choked his ass out. But then Drew doesn't have to say that he submitted or he pinned towards anything and jay also got involved so i don't know uh overall i think this like i said the best match very old school looking i would say and roman reigns just proves he's a beast man one of the best you know storytellers uh when it comes to not relying off a bunch of crazy moves kind of similar to cody they just tell a damn good story in the ring what do you think chris yeah, I, I agree with you. And if I had to compare this to something, when you say two stars um, and, and kind of the speed of the match, it reminded me of like a Triple H Undertaker match. It, kind of yeah. in the way it started and the way they went, you know, they got all their shit in. They got all their big moves in. It looked good. They even did some stuff that we hadn't seen before. But it just had that feel to it, especially at the beginning. But once it got going, I mean, it's really good. Once again, Paul, great selling on the outside every time Roman seemed to be in trouble. Um, when Roman put him through that barricade, you get that great Paul Heyman face where he's like, oh my God, they're both dead. Uh, 
and you know the low blow for the finish and the choke out i have no problem with i guess my only thing about this uh this seems to be a trend with people getting choked out now how many people have this as a finisher or a version of this him moxley eddie kingston um there's definitely more than that uh shana yeah shana's got got her choke yeah, there's quite a few. There's there's someone in NXT that also has one, too, that I'm not thinking I, of right I now. I like him having a submission, but I wish he would have another power move because, to me, the spear is a setup move, and it always will be. Um, I know that Edge finished matches, and maybe he's on that level, but I don't know. I, just, I always thought that the, the spear is not really a finisher to me. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> Personally, I would love to see him start using the sharpshooter because The Rock used the sharpshooter. Yeah. But good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was a good match. I, I can't take anything away from it, and I think they, you know, they continued the feud. The only thing, like I said, was the Jey So I don't think he needed to be involved uh, because you're already protected, Drew, by having Roman low blow him after the ref bump. Yep. All right. Well, um, let's let's move on. Like I said, I think that. Oh. Well, before we do that, God damn it, I almost did it again. Ugh. All right, let's go down and talk about the ending of an era, uh, the goodbye, the homage to The Undertaker, in which what would happen for the next 30 minutes afterwards, you know, kind of building. Um, this was really sad, man. Um, it definitely got me a couple times, and I really felt bad that this has to be the situation it is. You know, since it's so dark and gloomy for the most of the part where, where Undertaker is out, you didn't see any of those fans even on the monitors because they were trying to stick with the uh, the character. But just seeing Vince even get choked up, seeing uh, Taker get choked up, I know that there was some people, uh, Godfathers was has, has been uh, outspoken that said that the night before and a little bit of that night after the big celebration was great, but he just felt that they could have done a little bit more for Taker, given the circumstance. But they had a lot of uh, big names come out, pay respects, uh, either his good friends, a lot of the guys that were in the uh, the uh, crew that he had, I forgot what it was called, the Bone Street Crew or something like that. So, you know, you had the Godwins, you had Savio Vega, you had Rikishi, you had the Godfather, they, you know, the Bone, it, basically the guys that used to play dominoes together. Uh, to pass the time and shit like that and kind of have more of a biker look um, that were around the same time the click was. And then you had a lot of his past people that he's gone against. You know, you had Triple H, you had Shawn Michaels, you had uh, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, Kevin Nash. Um, you had just uh, an array of different wrestlers came. <laughs> the, the Governor Kane came out with his Kane outfit, just trying to keep it a little bit kayfabe, obviously. I appreciate that with him even though it's a bit ridiculous if you think about it. Um, and, uh, you know, Kurt Angle, Ric Flair, so many people there to, I thought, would be praising him. Uh, but, you know, it's it's like we collected them all in the ring. They kind of did a, a, uh, a clap for the package they were about to show. Package was awesome. I loved it. Uh, the, the updated version that they did on Raw and also on SmackDown where they added in what happened at the ceremony itself. Just great. I'm actually, at first that Metallica song really annoyed me uh, when they used it for uh, the the uh, 
the the brawl between him and uh, AJ Styles. Um, but now it kind of has an association to it, and I love what they did with it. Like like you know, like I said, I would have been all right with from whom the bell tolls. Seems like it would have made more sense, and they used it for one fucking segment highlighting the shit. But whatever, I digress. Um, and it was just uh, it was good stuff, man. Praise from John Cena, praise from Edge. Who wasn't able to be there? Randy Orton, you know, a lot of the guys that have uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin saying that he arguably has had one of the best careers, bar none. You know, just uh, really, really, really good stuff, and just like a nice send off. When we get there, everyone's gone. No one's gonna say anything. We're just moving on. And Vince is in the ring, and Vince looks fucking old, but he is fucking old. But God, I, the bags under his eyes—you can just tell he does not sleep a lot. But uh, he kind of just introduces The Undertaker, kind of even harpens back by saying, The Undertaker, back when he was sometimes doing announcing, when Undertaker first started in the early 90s. And Undertaker comes out. It's a very slow, you know, even more so than before, uh, trot to the ring. And, uh, you know, he kind of addressed us and, and talked and uh, said that he's put many men, he's, he's had them rest in peace, and this time... It's time for The Undertaker to rest in peace. So remember, key phrase, Undertaker, rest in peace. Just remember that. Anyways, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Um, and, uh, yeah, just uh, left. Uh, he, he went to do his pose. They had a hologram of Paul Barra and the whole, oh, he, oh yes, Undertaker. That whole, like, you know, vocal part come in and looked awesome. It went to, you know, The Undertaker. His eyes are rolled back in his head. And then he walked up the ramp, and that was it. That was uh, that was it. I don't know why I was trying to expect more. Um, I think this would have been a good situation, possibly, because here's the thing. When he gets inducted, which is going to be soon now that he's done, I think he's going to have a chance, maybe as Mark Calloway, you know, so maybe more American Badass style or something, to address the fans more, and especially during his speech. So when fans are available, I think that will be available for him. Uh, but I still think it's extremely unfortunate. And to me, you know, if you have a situation where maybe you have Roman Reigns kind of interrupt him and tell him that your days are over, you were supposed to put me over and retire several years ago when I destroyed you. Like, what are you doing? And have maybe having a confrontation with that. I don't know, something. I know a lot of people said The Fiend. And him fighting off uh, revolution, some something to kind of just add a little bit of element to throwing it back to the new generation. But the way they did it is the way they did it, and it just kind of sucks because a little lackluster. I really wish that audience w- could have been there, and they weren't. And uh, I love the special with Stone Cold and a lot of the stuff they talked about. I would definitely recommend it. They have an uncensored version, which is even more fun because it's always great hearing Stone Cold say F-bombs every five fucking seconds. And uh, just get really into the details of his career and um, that he's he seems at peace, you know, that he's going to be done uh, with The Undertaker. So crazy. 30 years, man. Yeah, it's it, – okay, so I'll start by saying the positive things. We've been expecting Undertaker to retire for a while now, and and I've said this a billion times on this show. Uh, he doesn't owe a shit, so if Undertaker's ready to ride off into the sunset, then great. 
I wish that it could have been in front of fans. I get trying to tie it into his debut at Survivor Series doing the 30-year anniversary. I may have held off until audiences can be back in the building, if it was me personally. I don't think that that would have taken anything away from this moment because he, <laughs> the 30-years thing, while it's impressive, it it doesn't matter. You didn't necessarily have to build around that. Undertaker, if you say Undertaker's retiring regardless of the 30-year thing, people are going to watch anyways because it's the fucking Undertaker. That being said, this 15-minute just of entrances for them to stand in the ring and not do anything I think could have easily been replaced with a video tribute package of wrestlers talking about the Undertaker with maybe some clips underneath and some music, and then you can do the full-on Undertaker video package. Uh, The Metallica song didn't bother me as much as it did other people outside of the fact that it should just always be from whom the bell tolls with Undertaker, in my opinion. There's one of many better Metallica songs that fit the Undertaker's character. Um, Like one? Yes, there you go. Uh, Darkness in prison and me. (laughs) All I see is absolute horror. Uh, There's a bunch of, of good better or better choices for the song but i also get that they didn't want that to go you know seven minutes so picking a newer metallica song to some extent makes makes sense if you want the full thing to play and in the video like a music video or whatever so i and like you said they you know it was the boneyard match song that he rolled out on which is going to be the iconic image of his career i think one of them like anytime they talk about the undertaker riding off into the sunset they're going to show him on that chopper riding away so i I had no problem, not no huge problem with it outside of that Metallica song. It's just not that good. Uh, the actual speech and the hologram of Paul Bear, if they would have just done that, I might have liked this more. But me having to sit through 15 minutes of <laughs> like these guys walking back down to the ring only to get, you know, Vince to show up directly after the video package with no you know reasoning on why they were there outside of their Undertaker's friends. Uh, was very weird. It would have been better if they just did kind of like what they did with Jericho and had people talk about talk about him, I think, personally. And you could have just had those guys talk about him, honestly, um, on a backstage interview. I don't think we needed all their entrances. One of my favorite spots is uh, Kane comes down to the ring in all of his attire, and Ric Flair just loses his shit and starts laughing immediately. <laughs> I- I don't know why he thought it was so funny. Do you think he was like, do you think he was like, keep it kayfabe, brother? <laughs> Probably. I don't think that he realized that Glenn Jacobs was going to come down in the full cane. <laughs> um, which, I mean, it's fair because Undertaker came down in his full gimmick. So, I, you know, whatever. I did, it was just funny, Ric Flair's reaction. Um, Vince McMahon showed a little bit of human. You don't see that much out of Vince, but you could tell that he was getting a little choked up even because this is his creation. So Undertaker retiring is also Vince's probably his greatest creation uh, being no more. This is his, uh, this is his Bruno to what his father had and created, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was that, that piece, the, the Vince stuff I had no problem with. And, and like I said, the undertaker speech with the holograph of, of uh, Moody and slash Paul bearer rest in peace uh, was great. It was good to see that included because he was such a big part of Undertaker's career. And also them talking about Yoko Zuna on commentary, I thought was a real nice touch, because him and Taker were very close. Um, once again, rest in peace, Yoko Zuna. But yeah, yeah. just... Rest in peace, I think, Rodney. 
yeah, I would I would cut out I would have cut out those intros and just did a video package or something just because the, watching it at home with no fans in the building, you're just listening to WWE entrance music essentially. One thing I think they could have done just to add a little bit more touch, especially since we we're going to get uh, that part with um, I'm, I keep on thinking Percy Pringle, but uh, Paul Bearer at the end of it. Um, it would have been nice to reflect off of the original entrance. And instead of doing, and it was cool, but instead of doing that weird electric version, start off with the original entrance music. And then you have Ted DiBiase come and announce him. And then uh, Brother Blood kind of, you know, starts, comes out first. Uh, not Brother Blood, Brother Love. That's a Teen Titans villain, people. Uh, Brother Love comes out, and then once they hit the music, they stop it and go back to the old version. He's gone, DiBiase's gone, and then Undertaker. Because ex- it would have been a very similar entrance from his start. And then, I don't know. There's there's certain things they could have done. It really is some stuff. But uh, also had, why don't you have, since you're not going to have anyone getting involved and, and it's just going to be straight his his exit, have Undertaker in the ring for a little while and have all those legends that came there come back with the roster and all of them get on, you know, the whole knee pose to him or something, you know, uh, with everyone. Um, it just seems like, I hate to compare us, it seems like that, that and it's not fair because Ric Flair had a whole entire audience, but he just had a better setup as well with how they went about his retirement. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think if you wanted to try to get young talent over, this would have been the time instead of having those 15 minutes, you could have had interviews from a lot of your roster talking about how important the undertaker is to them and what their favorite undertaker moment was or something. I just feel like there's better ways to do it. And I like the idea of everyone coming out on the stage. Um, but I think they wanted that scene of undertaker walking away one last time without, you know, there being anyone there. So I, I kind of get why they did it. It sucks. There were yeah. no fans there. I don't, I think this thing would have died a death with fans being there. If you were just going to have hit entrance music for 15 minutes though. <laughs> Probably. Well, I have to say so, but well, if that is it, that's a hell of a career. Um, you know, he's keep on mentioning the whole break glass thing with Vince. He's done. But apparently from reports, and I think Dave Metzler was talking about this, is that Vince is completely okay with him being done and he's going to respect his wishes. So what I am happy about is the reports that now Taker kind of wants to be not so much in the spotlight, but we've seen a lot of interviews. He can do stuff. But the main thing that he's talking about wanting to get involved with is partially training at the, uh, the uh, whatchamacallit, NXT Performance Center and try to help new talents because two of his best friends are obviously doing that with Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Um, I don't know if it's a full-time thing or something like what, what Razor does and Kevin Nash, where they come in for time periods and help certain people like help the giants, you know, kind of like what Razor was doing with Damian Priest and what uh, Kevin was working with uh, Jordan Oge. Uh, but Taker would be someone I mean, if you were flabbergasted having Shawn Michaels teach you stuff, imagine getting some education from The Undertaker in NXT. Yeah, especially if you're, you know, a big guy. 
if you're a bigger wrestler, <laughs> you know, um, like him working with someone like Damian Priest, who, you know, by all by all accounts, I think is a little more athletic than The Undertaker. But him being able to show him some of the ropes and some of the things that Taker does in the ring, uh, how to hit big moments and matches. I mean, the psychology The Undertaker has been able to do over his career being as big as he is, is, is one of the most impressive things, like knowing when to hit that big tope over the top rope, right? Like knowing when to go into certain moves. Taker is one of the best, definitely the, to me, the best big man that's ever done it. I think it's hard to, hard to debate that. I agree. And I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, not only that being able to give the concept of, of just um, in ring psychology, and, and, and certain situations, but also being able to get tweaks to certain wrestlers because you have a lot of them that have that darker edge to them. Um, so not necessarily a Finn Balor, who I think is more of like a lone wolf because he's already gone through everything and probably gets a little bit to pick Triple H and Shawn Michaels' brain and Norman Smiley and Matt Bloom and all the other, uh, Terry Taylor, all the other awesome people they have working there. But... Some of the newer guys, especially like you're saying, the big ones, Damian Priest, who gets to potentially work on his craft with his two favorite wrestlers of all time, Razor Ramon, uh, a.k.a. Scott Hall, and fucking Undertaker. And Undertaker obviously has a little bit more uh, ability to actually work in the ring, but also Killer Cross getting a little bit of training from Undertaker and, and trying to get him up to par. And uh, maybe even Dexter Loomis, you know, I think that he could really potentially help some of these guys and even some new guys that are coming in. And uh, it's going to be very interesting. Do you think that that's going to be basically the three guys that kind of are what, you know, uh, Pat Patterson and um, Pat Patterson and uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Joe Briscoe were to Vince of his right hand man, because I feel like, Especially Michaels, he's going to be involved later on once Triple H, if he does take over. And Undertaker seems like that's like the next step is teaching and uh, trying to help the future of wrestling. I hope so. That's a that's a great person to have there in that role. But yeah, I could I could see you drawing the comparison to Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe with with Sean and Taker being there. Uh, if they if they're going to be there full time, Sean's there full time now, right? He was just yep. doing. Yeah, so it that just depends on what Taker wants to do, right? I think right now, probably for this year, he'll do like guest spots there, but he's already lined up a bunch of wrestling cons and signings and stuff that he's never been able to do to interact with the fans, which I really appreciate. I think that's great. Um, I also appreciate that he is not charging a ridiculous amount for autographs. The one that I saw that's happening in Texas, my friend is uh, hosting, is like $100 an autograph, which is not ridiculous if you've ever been to like a comic con um or any kind of wrestling con with a large like a, a big name like taker um or hogan like that's kind of par for the course but um yeah it seems like he just wants to get out there do podcasts for a while maybe start his own podcast who knows like I, it's going to be interesting to see the next phase of his career i am glad that he's going to be involved with nxt though good stuff good shit and uh like i said i i think the actual Stone Cold interviews were a better retirement for me than the in-ring segment. Agreed. Agreed completely. Love seeing those two, uh, you know, slam a couple back and talk about some stuff. 
Um, definitely recommend watching those. But let's move on to the Wednesday Night Wars. Start off with AEW. Thought both shows had some pretty good parts and some stuff that was a little bit questionable. But we'll get to those moments. I uh, still had a lot of fun watching the shows. I couldn't watch them Wednesday um, because I was partying with my folks. So, yeah, we had to do that whole thing so I could be hungover and need a Bloody Mary like we normally do and then proceed to sleep until Thanksgiving food is ready. Great stuff. If you don't do that, you're just you're missing out. Anyways, so, yep, we go to Jacksonville like normal. First match of the night. A pretty damn good match with Hangman Adam Page and John number four Silver from the Dark Order. Uh, the Dark Order escorted him out. He kind of, you know, told them uh, to back off. He had like a little mini promo saying that that uh, Johnny was hungry. You know, John Silver has been getting over a lot with BTE, so they're trying to show him a bit. I know that in real life, uh, Brody Lee has a minor injury. He's about to be back from it, so I'm really wondering. What's going to happen when Brody Lee gets back and finds out that Johnny Boy is kind of trying to impromptu leader while he's gone? But um, this whole concept apparently was to get Hangman to join the Dark Order. So John's already offering some solidarity, some a little bit of a, you know appreciation and shake his hands, and Hangman won't have anything of it. And uh, Hangman... Just an awesome match. I like the part where uh, John Silver, like, they slowed it down for a little while, and Silver proved that he has bigger biceps and triceps than Adam Page, and then Adam Page just, just like, kicked the shit off his head. Uh, and just the ending, um, where he just uh, gets the buck, buckshot lariat. However, Silver has him well-scouted, avoiding it, and making him pay with a well-timed counter that shifts the momentum back in his favor. Silver hits another few high spots, for a couple of near falls, Silver now pounding Page with kicks to chest while he's on his knees, and Page asks him for more, smiling as he hulks up, if you will, and gets back to his feet. Silver lands a couple more vicious kicks to the chest, and then Page powers up out of nowhere and clotheslines his head off. He follows it up by a sit-down powerbomb for a close near fall. Uh, now Page sets up the buckshot lariat again. This time, he hits it and gets the win. And uh, after the match, you think that, you know, Dark Order comes to the ring. They're all going to try to, like, you know, beat the crap out of Paige. And, uh, no, they're they're dear, they're there, uh, you know, making an offer to him uh, about joining the Dark Order and just putting the offer out there. And they apologize about all the stuff in the past. So Evil Luno's trying to get in Hangman's page and get him to join the Dark Order. Interesting little wrinkle. Don't really care. Like John Silver. Uh, definitely love Adam Page. I thought this was a good match for John, and just a, a pretty good match to open up the show. So that's what I think. Chris, what do you, what do you think? I thought this was a very good show opening match. Uh, good showing from John Silver, like you said. I liked the I, Adam Page hulking up and just clotheslining the shit out of him. I thought that was cool. Um, the Dark Order is weird. They go from me liking them liking to them. me not caring at all. I'm assuming this is setting up Adam Page in the future. Yeah. That would be my guess, which should be a really good match if they go that route. I will note that Adam Page did not show up drinking. Maybe the loss to Kenny Omega has made him start to think about his career in a more serious manner. I hope so, 
Let's let's hope. I just hope that this is not a thing, because I know that the Young Bucks don't drink. Where when Adam Page, if he inevitably or when he inevitably, whichever way you look, beats Kenny Omega for the main title, that it's because he stops drinking, and that's like the whole storyline buildup is like you know, you uh you get over drinking and then you then you win, because that'll be stupid to me. I mean, it'll be stupid up to the point where he just starts drinking again and holds the title for a year. <laughs> then, it, then it'll be awesome. <laughs> and Steve Austin, I trust. That's what I, say. <laughs> uh, I will say hey, the clotheslines that he hits makes me really want to see him versus Okada again. Yeah. Battle of the clotheslines. Good stuff, man. Just a clothesline. That's all you need is a fucking finisher. Yeah, it would be like, it'd be like uh, you know, so clothesline massacre. Anyways, so Kenny Omega is getting, um, you know, interviewed by Marvez in the back. I listened to Brian and Vinny. They were uh, arguing over if if Kenny looked more like Ric Flair or if he looked more like Tully Blanchard with his sunglasses on. Um, and he just has the cleaner look. I mean, that's that's the look that he had. I guess it's similar to a Tully look. Like you know, you wouldn't have the the uh, the the tie, if you will, and you have the sunglasses on, but this was probably one of Kenny's better interviews, and I'm I've been getting impressed that like his new heel version. It's like he's channeling some stuff. And the last couple times, I thought he was good, but he uh, he talks to Moxley and tells him to leave the wrestling, the garbage wrestling at home, telling him that if he truly wants to be the best and to deserve the praise, to do so strictly based on abilities. And an actual wrestling match on next week's AEW Winter is Coming special. Before he leaves. He takes uh, a shot at Moxley's dad by saying that, you know, oh, that was nice. You know, you're talking about um, having a son and, and talking about your father. Well, I think my father could kick your father's ass. How about that? It's just just kind of stupid, but still maybe pop. So what do you think about this interview with uh, Alex Meathead? I mean, Marvez and uh, Kenny, Kenny Omega. <laughs> this is one of Kenny's better promos in AEW, I think. It's almost like he had himself turned down to like six. Until they started giving him the singles run. Um, good interview, and I like the setup for the match later on. Uh, I, and Kenny is definitely looking more like the cleaner as far as appearance goes. Uh, specifically, if you go back and watch any of the New Japan press conferences, this is kind of the way he dressed. If, we, if he starts breaking out the leather gloves again, we'll know he means business. We can only hope. I really do hope that. All right. Um... So we have his uh, vignette with Darby Allen, um, and he's got the car that got destroyed that he got put through from uh, the pay-per-view in the past, and he's got it, and he's throwing fire all over it. He has written on it, survive if I let you, which is, uh, if you didn't know Taz's old saying, written on it, and he kind of does a trail over to him and lights it on fire and blows it up. And it was a interesting vignette, and I guess he's making a claim of uh, he's going after Taz's group. So there you go. Uh, any any comments about the itself? I think they did a good job building to what I'm assuming is going to be the tag match on that. It's winners coming, right? They're going to do Will Hobbs and Re- Absolute Ricky Starks versus Cody and Darby, right? Yep. So they did a good job building that. I. I at some point, Darby is going to have to cut an actual promo, right? 
Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. So outside of that, I thought this was, it looked cool. It was a cool filmed segment, and I like to survive if I let you the throwback to Taz's theme music in ECW. I guess they had it in WWE as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, it was a good setup a good because set- they're building towards a match next week. All right, so uh, involved with that situation, we had Team Taz, uh, Taz with Powerhouse Hobbs. Uh, I have to say, even though I agree with people afterwards where they were like, wait a minute, didn't he save get saved by his brother that got shot in a shooting and shit like that? Like, that was a good story for a baby face if you wanted to do that. But now I like the look. I like the intimidation factor. The dude reminds me of Mark Henry, the way they're positioning him. Um, I even think that he did the the, the, the slam that, that Henry does, World's Strongest Slam, uh, as a finisher. But I like his look, and I also like Powerhouse Hobbs. Like, I know that some people would probably think that's that's corny, but Will or Willie Hobbs seems too babyface. And I'm sorry, when you have a leader that's named Taz and his son is Hook, and then you got Starks, and you got Cage, and now you got Powerhouse Hobbs. I just think it sounds like a bunch of goons. It almost sounds like a Marvel-like gang, if you will, or, or DC gang um, led by Taz, which Taz could do that, honestly. But uh, this was just to put Powerhouse Hobbs over. You had Lee Johnson, who uh, had some pretty damn good matches on Dark, got recently signed, and he's a part of the American Nightmare family. And uh, he was there to get his ass kicked, basically. And after Will Hobbs, uh, Powerhouse Hobbs, I should say, destroyed him, Taz said... You're good. You know, I got I got Cage's championship, the FTW champion. You go back to the back. You know, we're, we're going to go out later. I got something I got to say. And uh, Taz kind of presented a a uh, it's supposed to come off very realistic. He's like, you know, I want to know what the hell is with management and not keeping this title as top title and, and taking it seriously. Like, you know, I'm sick of this shit. Like no one, you know, one is a. Uh, you know, working with this or taking the whole group of my wrestlers seriously. So he demands that Tony Khan or James Mitchell uh, come out here and dress this. Obviously, Mitchell is the main producer. He used to do it for TNA and uh, Nitro, and Tony Khan is Tony Khan. Um, so Cody comes out, and Cody is pissed because at this point, Taz has had his mic ch- checked out. He went and grabbed uh, the other mic. Uh, and had the same thing happen, and he won't leave the ring. And Cody's, you know, saying, you know, we're we're giving you the tag match next week. Uh, it's gonna be me and Darby against Hobbs and Stark. What else can we freaking do for you? And he's like, well, you guys are gonna lose once again to my men. And you know, basically, I want to get this title into a title picture and have it taken more seriously up on AEW. And he said, I'll run it up the flagpole and tries to like basically, you know, uh, nonchalantly walk away from Taz. And then Taz starts, you know, you know, just digging into him like, Oh, what are you going to tell me that you have nothing for me that, uh, you know, what's, I, I hope I'm best in my future endeavors. Uh, you know, just calling him out some more. Cody gets frustrated. He gets in the ring and he goes, you know, for you being such a wrestling specialist, why is it that your son Hook is getting taught by me and not by you? And Taz is like, you shouldn't have done that. That was really disrespectful. Now you pissed me off. And we have all this tension. Um, and Cody goes to leave again. And Taz puts him in the Taz mission. 
and Cody's just frailing his arms around, and he puts him down while Dustin and the gun club uh, run in to save Cody, and Taz, you know, with his son, Hook, uh, just leave. So I thought this was a really good segment. I love the element of realism. Obviously, I'm not dumb and, and believe that it is real, but the fact of how much work they put into it, uh, and it came off real. Taz is great on the mic, and this is uh, the first thing, honestly, involved with him and his group that I've really uh, liked, and n- now I'm saying I want to see more of this, whereas before they were kind of in the background. What do you think about all this, Chris? I like this, and, and one reason I like this is it almost makes an authority figure out of Cody, which we haven't seen yet, and it plays into Cody being heelish to some extent. Like with the shot that he took at at, at Taz's kid, disrespect. The only thing that I would have done differently here is I may have had Will Hobbs, Brian Cage, and Ricky Starks come out and beat up the Nightmare family and then them all leave together as opposed to Taz kind of running away with his kid. Yeah. But outside of that, this was great. And like I said, they did a really good job of setting up that match next week. I want to see what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm very interested. So that that's good, man. Taz, incredible on the mic. That's all I have to say. All right, so we had uh, Eddie Kingston getting interviewed by Marvez backstage. Marvez is standing with Kingston. He asked Kingston about the reformation of Death Triangle with his former quote unquote family members Ray Phoenix and Pentagon, and having to realign them with the bastard Pack. Uh, as Kingston addressed the situation, in walks a W World Champion John Moxley who gets in his face as both men stare each other down. Finally, Kingston begins talking. He tells Mox he knows it wasn't him that attacked him. He knows that if he were to do it, he'd do it right in front of his face. He claims Mox knows exactly who it was. He said he's got his own business to worry about, and he knows that Moxley does too, and Moxley walks off. So I like this. I like this dynamic between the two of them. You're not going to keep their relationship apart. They still have respect for each other. They've known each other for years. They're like brothers, but right now they hate each other. But I like that Eddie Kingston's like, you know I wouldn't fucking do that to you. If I'm going to fucking fuck you up, I'm going to do it right in front of your face. Like, you know that I'm not a sleazeball like that. And John Moxley believed him. And I don't think Eddie Kingston did it. So I really like that segment. What did you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I like the segment a lot. And you have to keep in mind that Eddie Kingston almost got killed with a barbed wire. <laughs> so I don't know that he's the most keen to go after Moxley again right now. Uh, Moxley did choke him out with barbed wire in their last match. So it made a lot of sense in storyline. And uh, I like Moxley kind of just accepting it and moving along. He's like, well, yeah, you're right. Wasn't you. <laughs> it wasn't me. All right, so then we have the Hybrid 2 versus Top Flight. We're supposed to be building this, I think, to the Hybrid 2 going against the Young Bucks. And like I keep on saying, like this was a good match um, for a fast-paced match. Really was impressed with Top Flight last week. They were still good with this. I just – I don't know what happened. Maybe it's – I mean, they're doing it they're, – they're having matches on Dark, but Jack Evans and, and Helico, when they were on Lucha Underground, they were pretty fucking – good and on top of their game and i think that they get a little bit sloppy sometimes with them maneuvers um as of recently that i've seen them especially on AEW dynamite so it's kind of unfortunate but it seems like they're working on that direction with the young bucks uh we would have angelico um and jack evans the hybrid two win and uh you know 
the young bucks come out and uh, get all pissed off and shit. So there you go. Um, I don't know. Am, am I being too harsh on the hybrid two, Chris? No, specifically Jack Evans has messed up a bunch of spots once he gets on TV. I don't know what that's about, if he's rushing through the movements or what. Um, but yeah, he he's looked kind of sloppy. I think Angelico's looked a little better, but when they start trying to do team moves together, um, or if Jack Evans is like making a comeback, it, it has looked a little sloppy. I will say this about uh, Top Flight. I... Yep. I I thought they looked really good in the Young Bucks match, but it's a Young Bucks match, so it's going to be pretty good most of the time. Uh, it would they looked really good here as well. Yep. So I think they're uh, they're definitely a team that you can build around as you know. I'm not going to say the new Young Bucks, but a big time babyface team that is similar to the Young Bucks in some ways. Uh, well, actually, in, in quite a bit of ways, which I think is why they pin them against each other. They need to get some strong wins on TV. Don't yep. just put them back on dark. All right. Well, we had Rick, uh, Ricky. We had Vicky Guerrero and Nyla Rose talk about nepotism. Um, on that note, we see uh, the two standing backstage and Vicky begins talking about nepotism. She in, uh, incessantly reads the definition of the word and then says it sounds a lot like Brandy Rose. As she continues talking, we get highlights of the recent backstage attack with Jade Cargrill. Um, she taunts Brandy some more and says, if she ever needs any advice to give her a call, she laughs as we head to another commercial break. And when we get back, uh, more importantly, I would say, FTR talked the first time since Full Gear. Uh, we shoot to a previously recorded message from the former AEW World Tag Team Champions. On that note, we see FTR and Tully Blanchard seated on a table for the first time since losing the AEW World Tag Team Champions. Uh, to the uh, reigning title holders, the Young Bucks, we hear Dax and Cash address losing the titles to give a brief message to the Bucks while vowing that they are coming to reclaim what is still rightfully for theirs in their mind. From there, Blanchard talks uh, and finishes the segment, and Bucks fear the revelation, Tully Blanchard says, closing, as he points and stares directly into the camera. One thing that they didn't mention on this, some of the stuff that I did like that they said, was that they appreciate that people, which, by the way, this is all kayfabe, because they were praising this match and saying it was one of the best matches that they did and that the Young Bucks were, you know, Dax, Dax gloated about this match. He was really proud of it. But for the sake of kayfabe, they were basically saying, like, you know, it could be the best match ever, but we fucking lost. For three seconds, the Young Bucks were better, and they are an incredible team. They put them over, even though they're the heels, obviously. But we need to get those titles back. And I think Dawson Cash kind of admitted that he was embarrassed because he's the one who caused caused the loss. But Dax is really the, the better person out of the two of them on the mic. And then you had Tully that came in at the end. I'm I'm wondering where they're going to go with FTR for right now. But um, I like this. Uh, how'd you like the Vicky Guerrero spot and then also the FTR spot? The Vicky Guerrero spot was weird because I don't understand how Nyla and Vicky tie back into the title picture after they just lost. Um, I, didn't, I didn't she get, slap her? Yes, at the pay-per-view. And now they're just back together. Uh, maybe there was an explanation on Dark, I'm, so I'm not going to bury it too hard, but it, it was just weird. Uh, the FTR interview I thought was great. Them calling it the worst night of their career 
was pretty funny if you've watched <laughs> FTR. Uh, maybe saying the best night of our career and the worst night of our career would have been a better way to put it. That was that yeah. Was good. I'm sorry if you guys got shaved in a shower. Um, <laughs> probably the worst night of your career. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, this was this was good. It was a good segment which, uh, with with FTR and Tully, and it sets up you know matches down the line with the Young Bucks. I feel like you know they can have three or four more matches with the Young Bucks over the next year. People will still dig it. It'll be really good. Uh, yeah, just good promo. I I don't know where they're gonna position them because it seems like the Young Bucks are gonna have some other challengers before they come back to FTR. So, um, yeah, good good shit. Yeah. All right, the next match, we got Christopher Daniels and Frank Kazarian, SCU, going against Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. I like Jake Hager. He's good in big man matches, but couldn't they have gotten someone else in this? Maybe MJF? I don't know. Sorry. That, that was a, But he was good in the match. It was fine. Uh, they, they announced a million fucking times, Chris, that there is over 50 years of experience between Christopher Daniels and Chris Jericho from how long that they've been in the biz. And this is the first time that they're locking horns, which was kind of cool. Uh, match was pretty good. Uh, let's go towards the ending of the match and the win. All right, so Daniels climbs top rope to enter the ring, and he splashes onto Jericho with a top rope crossbody press for a close near fall. The ring announcer gives us a time limit checked just as Daniels walks into a big shot from Jericho, who follows up uh, by tagging in Hager. Hager comes in and picks up where Jericho left off, uh, taking it to Hager. Uh, however, moments later, Daniels hits a diamond flatliner. He looks to follow up with the BME, the best moonsault ever. He hits it. He covers Hager. One, two, Jericho breaks it up. Uh, now all breaks, all hell breaks loose, and MJF hits a cheap shot, which leads to Jericho hitting the Judas effect for the win. The winners, Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. After the match, uh, wraps up. Kazarian decks MJF out of frustration, which prompts all the inner circle to start prolonged post-match beatdown on SCU until finally Scorpion Sky hits the ring to make the save with a steel chair. So I like the match. Uh, you, you heard my issues towards the beginning, but it was still a good match. I really think that if you want to have, and I think they're doing Frankie Kazarian versus Jericho next week. Maybe they announced that. I can't remember. Uh, but I'd love to see Jericho against either one of those guys just in a solo match. Um, him and Daniels seems like something special based on how long they've both been in the industry, kind of on separate platforms altogether. Uh, so that would be very interesting. But, um, you know, I just wish that they would do more at Scorpio Sky, Chris. I really would. Like, I want him in the top, at least TNT title picture. Who was he? Didn't he come out and attack someone dressed as a bear recently? Yeah. Um, oh, God damn it. The uh, the 10 guy. Yeah. So they're just done with that, I guess. Mm, yep. They're, okay. That's it. Um, I, I, I liked this match a lot. I thought it was really good. I actually like the combo of Jericho and Jake Hager in ring wise. I think their styles kind of meet well as a tag team for whatever reason. I think it would be really funny if they switch, if like MJF convinces Jericho to use Wardlow as a tag team partner in the future instead Whoa. of Jake Hager. That would be good oh, for both dude. Jake and Wardlow. 
can we get like a big man slap me tag match between uh fucking punishment uh Hobbs and Brian Cage against Wardlow and Jake Hager? That'd be incredible. I'm totally down for that. I hope that's where they're going with Will Hobbs and, and Cage, as I've said in the past. That I I think that's a tag team that they need in AEW. Just like a big ass meme. Oh yeah, dude. Cage Cage would be the perfect hawk and fucking uh punishment hobbs would be the perfect animal. That'd be perfect. Yeah, it's it, and they're not doing that next week. They're doing which I mean I guess it makes sense because you have the built in feud with Darby, but hopefully they get there. Uh, yeah, that being said, I, I like this tag match. I thought it was really good. Frankie Kazarian is like a fine wine. He only gets better with age, apparently. He's fucking incredible. <laughs> Probably the most underrated wrestler in AEW. It's ridiculous how good he was in this match. Um, and, I, I don't think I've ever watched a wrestler, like, and I've said this a million times, that reminds me more of Bret Hart than Frankie Kazarian. He does everything well. He really does. I mean, he. I mean, he kind of always has. Even if you go back to those early TN, uh, TNA matches, like go back to like 2003, 2004, he was even great back then. I, I think people forget the fact that he's been in the business at least 20 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I've you know if you if you look at all the in ring talent just in that match alone, you're looking at 70 years combined experience or something like that. Yeah, craziness. All right, well, let's go on to the video game extravaganza from Best Man Miro and Kip Sabian. Um, they got a video game console. They're all excited about it. Orange Cassidy uh, made his way into the room. He shuts it off. They run, and then the best friends are there to attack them. And uh, yeah, that's um, that's it. That's um. That was this is uh this is really working well for Miro and uh is not bringing him and Orange Cassidy down at all for a fucking stupid tag team with people I don't care about at all. I like uh Miro had one line when Orange Cassidy turned it off. I it's not like he broke it, but Miro goes, "Don't do that. My wife bought it for me." <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny. Um and also at the very end when they're having the attack segment, Miro grabs the camera and kind of shakes it. And he's like, get out of the way. Uh, that was pretty good. Outside of that, I mean, this was just your... It kind of reminded me of a WCW Nitro segment where they fight outside near the truck. Specifically, remember when uh, Kevin Nash powerbombed um, Rey Mysterio into the side of that truck or production vehicle? It's similar to that. They basically did the same spot. Yeah. All right, well, um, let's move on to uh, something that I liked a little bit more. The AEW Winter is Coming contract signing part deal. Uh, since the last one did not work out too well with John Moxley getting jumped in the back. We have uh, the intros from Tony Schiavone going to Kenny Omega's entrance. He is in his little platform with the uh, the screen in front of him. So we just see his shadow. And I loved how they did this because the girls are coming out there. They're sweeping. They already went over his all his accolades. Uh, for this whole, like, you know, him being this uh, cocky, over-arrogant version of himself that we all love. And we see Moxley just come up right fucking behind him, and then, boom, hits him right in the head. He goes flying through his screen. Moxley's just kicking the shit out of him and, uh, you know, has some some words to say uh, as he's destroying him. Uh, he, he's, Moxley says, gentlemen's agreement, right. 
Mox says he doesn't know who Omega hired to take him out last week, but he says they did a piss-poor job because he's still walking. He tells Omega next time uh, hit him up. He knows a guy from Philadelphia who does some great work. I wonder who he's referring to. Is 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 uh brought him up last week. I think this is the most times we've talked about Nick Gage. Is Nick Gage from Philadelphia? Maybe he's talking about Tommy Dreamer. I, no, Tommy Dreamer's from New York, isn't he? I, I could be wrong, but I think Nick Gage is from Jersey. Well, one Philadelphia wrestler that that, that we do not know. Uh, Moxley goes to guarantee that the only way Omega becomes champion is for him to dig down deep in his guts and find the Kenny Omega that everyone thinks he is. He says he's got to climb a mountain that nobody has done in 18 months. you got to beat me. Uh, he goes to deliver his final promo for his big title showdown against Omega. Uh, Winter is coming special. Uh, he says, whether it wins, lose, or draw, Winter is coming for you, Kenny Omega. He says this isn't a joke on BTE or Dancing Girls with Brooms. So, I like this dichotomy. You have Kenny Omega saying, leave the fucking trash cans and all the other stupid plunder and bring yourself and actually wrestle a match. And John Moxley's like, take out this whole fucking charade, your Las Vegas, you know, show that you got going on and be here for a fight next week. And I think that we're going to get the two of them at their most aggressive. I'm hoping that we have a good wrestling match since we're now taking out away the option for this to be a hardcore match. And I hope this is a good match, and I still think Kenny Omega is going to win. But I, I, I did like this. I, I liked him beating the shit out of him and then signing it right afterwards. So we got uh, Moxley's signature on it. Yeah, I guess my only problem with this is this should have ended the show. Uh, but outside of that, this was great. Moxley's promo was awesome. I love that, <laughs> that the way it looked when he showed up behind Kenny Omega and cracked his neck right before he attacked him. The typical John Moxley's about to whip your ass uh, look. It, it was great. We still don't know who actually attacked Moxley, which is intriguing. Because it may, you know, it, if Kenny did indeed hire someone or didn't hire someone, it wasn't it Kenny wasn't that Kenny attacked that it... Moxley. It's weird. Uh, but the the promo where he says win, lose, or draw, I, I thought for sure Kenny might have been winning the title here. I'm wondering if they're going to do a time limit draw now. Oh, that is a good point. I just don't, I don't know. I just find less and less mileage out of Moxley. And I'd like to see him do other stuff that doesn't involve the title to kind of build up his cred and kind of try someone else out. Especially this newly built Kenny that's trying to go for how he was perceived, you know, a year and a half ago. Yeah, I guess my only thing with Kenny is he's running out of opponents. Or not Kenny, um, Moxley. He's running out of opponents. So I, yep. I have no problem with him taking the belt off him here. But he's had a good run. I mean, 18 months as champion, undefeated, basically. Pretty solid. Yep, definitely think so, too. All right, so a pissed off Le Champion was with the inner circle backstage. Uh, we see Chris Jericho very upset that MJF has dental issues <laughs> as a result of Kazarian putting his hands on the newest member of the inner circle. The demo God promises to make, that's right. So this one, it was uh, said, this should be a good match. Promise to make Frankie Kazarian famous next week. He says, by the way, I know that that was an O2, you know, uh, undertaker, especially the way that he said it. I hope that Jericho doesn't start saying that. 
all the time. The American badass, like, I'm going to make you famous. That was one thing. Just got to just throw it out there. But anyways, uh, it says it's going to be Kazarian versus him one-on-one next week on Diamondite. He vows to get revenge on him uh, for putting his hands on MJF. He tells Kazarian his career's over, but next week it's all over. He then touches the camera lens with the tip of Floyd base, the Floyd baseball bat. Blah. Um, so how did you, uh, how did you like this interview? I liked the interview. I thought, uh, MJF was really funny here when he's like, who just hits an unsuspecting man. It's, it's very much like, uh, you wouldn't hit a man with glasses, would you? Even though like he's a cheap bastard. A lot of the times that was pretty funny. I like the setup for the Kazarian match. And I'm assuming the Jericho thing was just a one-off nod to Undertaker because he had some good matches with Undertaker. Obviously, he would not be allowed to be part of any kind of ceremony of Undertaker. So I, I think that was just a one-off acknowledging Taker's career. I hope so. But it, it was it was good. Yeah, he said a lot of good stuff about him online as well as all, anyone that was associated with uh, AEW. That was their, their tribute. Dan, I think you uh, muted yourself, maybe. Hi. <laughs> I made a funny joke about The Undertaker that I forgot, so that sucks. <laughs> All right, so the next match that we had was kind of just talking about, you know, Hikiru Shida and also kind of hyping up uh, Anna Jay. Um, and then we had the match with, for the AEW Women's World Championship, Anna Jay and Hikiru Shida. They actually had a pretty good match, I would say, Chris. I think Anna Jay is getting better and better. I know she she uh, goes to uh, Cody's school and um, thought this was a good showing of her because I think it was like the last time she looked a little bit eh, – it was a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was may, – I haven't seen a lot of the stuff that she's done on Dark. But uh, either way, we had Cheetah win, um, and uh, after she won, she started celebrating, and out of nowhere, we had an uh, appearance of Abaddon who spit blood out of her mouth, uh, and she was crawling around the top of the entrance around the AEW World Championship. So Hikuru Shida is now being threatened and look extremely intimidated, someone that's been dominating over some of the biggest and, you know, best foes, I would say, within AEW, seems to be scared of Abaddon. It sucks that what happened was an accident. Sucks that Abaddon couldn't have had a big impact on Halloween, which she was supposed to. But uh, I'm glad that they brought her back to the main uh, Dynamite show, and it looks like she's going to be going for that title. I don't know if she'll win, um, but I was impressed by her in-ring work and her overall look uh, the last two times I've seen her. So what did you think about all this? I thought this was very cool, and it's the first thing that's got me invested in the AEW women's title in a while. So from that standpoint, they knocked it out of the park. I would have no problem with them putting it on Abaddon, honestly. Um, But yeah, as far as her missing the Halloween show, to me it almost works out better because it doesn't seem seem gimmicky. It seems more like a surprise... You know, and it was cool. Spits on the, uh, she like spits the blood and then licks the belt, kind of marking her territory. Uh, and she's been great on Twitter this week too, with her post about coming after uh, Sheeta, which has been entertaining. So good, good, good shit. I'm looking forward to that match. That should be a pretty good match. 
That is the scariest one out of all of them. As much as I love Rosemary, I, I, and Sue Young is terrifying, and I like this new Chucky version of uh, what you call it, Alexa Bliss. Abaddon is scary looking, and if I don't think anyone should try to look up what she looks like in real life because it ruins it to, to an extent. But the the amount of makeup what she puts on, it's fucking creep. It's it's like demon uh, Finn Balor turned to nine with her eyes and just how creepy and un- unsettling she looks. It's weird shit, man. It's weird shit. Yeah, it definitely looks like someone that would jump out at you at Netherlands or something. Uh, it's it's creepier than than most of the other things. Su- Sue Young is creepy, but it's very much the Japanese horror creepy. Abaddon looks like something from a monster movie or something. It's it's crazy. Or like but... Evil Dead, the remake. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> Yeah. Um. What do you? Would you want her? You might have already said this, but before we leave, would you want her to beat Hikaroshida just to put someone different that has like a little bit of steam in the championship picture, or is she too new back in? I would be fine with her winning. I think that that would kind of put her on the map right away. And I, I Shida chasing better because when Sheeta was having to chase Nyla Rose and beat her using the kendo stick, I think there's some fun matches you can do there. Also, you can have interaction with her and uh, Thunder Rosa. If Thunder Rosa is going to be around Serena Debs, uh, it's a better matchup than what they've been doing with it being like Nyla Rose. Uh, Abaddon scaring Britt Baker would be awesome. I don't know. It seems like a good move. It just you depends have on. Like a, uh... You can almost have like a, uh, a a Sting Muda pairing with her and Thunder Rosa. Yeah, and Sheeta she's still limited by her ability to promo, and they haven't gotten over the concept of her Except being like Oscar. Because mm-hmm. they're not giving her dominant enough wins, and they're not giving her wins over big of a, big of enough stars to build that. So, and she doesn't like a, she doesn't have the natural charisma as an Oscar. So I would have no problem with them taking the title off and putting it on Abaddon because I think people are really going to get behind that gimmick and the creepiness of it. Much like they did the Fiend, much like they've done, you know, the demon Finn Balor. Uh, I, yeah, so I, I could see it working for sure. If they and, and also, like, how much bigger does it get than you beating this women's champion that's kind of ran over everybody in your first match? Yep. Uh, all right, well, uh, we had Matt Hardy uh, talking about AW Dynamite uh, Diamond Ring Battle Royal that they're going to be doing uh, next week, and he's one of the participants in it. And this is uh, – he's back to, I guess – I don't remember him going in the Lake Arena Carnation, but he's back to Big Money Matt, which was a character that he had, I believe, on Ring of Honor. It might have been Impact. Uh, kind of, I guess, like a tribute sort of the Ted DiBiase, but he's all cocky and – arrogant and uh just talking down by also complimenting in a backhanded sort of way and uh yeah um that's uh that's interesting do you know much about this version of the character chris not not so much i mean it reminds me of matt hardy 2.0 to some extent i i I think you could draw those comparisons a little bit but i big money matt i'm not didn't follow as much as say some of his other characters he's played over the years. I didn't. I do know that Revy posted a bunch of creepy photos from the Hardy compound, so I don't know if they have something else piped in for Broken Matt Hardy later. 
down the road that may have already been filmed. Mm. Uh, but yeah, weird. Uh, it was a fun promo. I thought it was funny. I guess he's also doing this on Being the Elite. But I don't watch that every week, so I'm not caught up completely. Yeah, I feel you. Um, what do, what do we have next? All right, so we have the Machine, Brian Cage, Absolute, Ricky Starks, and Will Powerhouse Hobbs uh, just claiming that Taz was kicked out and that they had a new thing going on. And uh, Starks became the mouthpiece, and they just ran him down, and that Cody will have problems with Starks and Powerhouse next week with Darby Allen once they destroy him sort of thing. So, yeah, they're sticking up for Taz, right, Chris? Seems that way. I thought Ricky Starks... Uh was better here on the mic than I've seen him in the past couple months. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. So we had the butcher and the blade going against the bastard pack and Ray Phoenix. Um, but this was a, this was a good match. You know, we had Eddie Kingston caught, you know, at, uh, announcing the match along with Tony and, Excalibur and, and Jim Ross just berating uh, Tony Schiavone the whole entire time, who's trying to still get Eddie to admit that he tried to, you know, uh, take two brothers and work them against themselves and, you know, just get information and get under his skin the whole entire time. Uh, he threatened him a lot, which was good. Um, but the match itself was pretty damn good. Uh, Pop looked awesome in this, and so did Ray Phoenix. Uh, but towards the end of the match, uh, the pin attempt that follows is broken up by a drop kick to the back of the head of Ray Phoenix. Butcher is now to throw Phoenix out. Now the Butcher and the Blade stand over a laid out puck. Butcher returns to the ring apron as Blade looks to finish off the bastard. Instead, Eddie Kingston uh, leaves commentary table and sprints to the ring. He knocks Phoenix off the rope uh, while Butcher brawls in the floor with Pack. Back in the ring with Pack laid out, still on the floor, and ref distracted. The Butcher and the Blade hit their double-team finisher on Phoenix. After the hit, the ref turns, and having not seen anything illegal, he makes a count, and the Butcher and the Blade score the victory in this week's tag team main event. Afterwards, Eddie, uh, Eddie Kingston joins them in the ring, and then there's just a bunch of craziness after the match. Uh, this is, this gets a little bit confusing. So after the match, the bunny grabs his chair and throws it in for Kingston, the butcher and the blade. Uh, the three of loom are beating down the bastard pack, Ray Phoenix, and then Pentagon when he, when he enters the, uh, the, the thing, Eddie Kingston sits wicked, uh, on a steel chair. Uh, he calls, uh, for a second one. He picks up the lifeless pack and hits another massive DDT onto the steel chair head first. And then all of a sudden, while this is going on, uh, the Murderhawk monster, Lance Archer, hits the ring, who's apparently mad about Kingston's comments constantly towards him, but is a complete heel with a complete heel manager, but whatever. Uh, and he just starts destroying everyone. And, you know, the, the baby faces, if you will, the Dark Triangle, stand tall with him as the heels all scatter and get the hell out of there. So now that's what we're apparently going for, Chris. Uh Lance Archer teaming up with Pac, Pentagon, and Ray Phoenix against Eddie Kingston and his goons. Um, kind of confused on all this. Can you help me out? 
Well, I mean, with Archer, it's just because of the Battle Royal stuff and the fact that Kingston's been poking him from afar for a long period of time, right? So I'm assuming the match is Kingston versus Archer is where they're trying to go. And uh, I'm still not convinced that Archer is not the one that attacked uh, Moxley. So I think that might unfold as well. Uh, favorite, I, I thought the match was really good. I like Kingston on commentary. My favorite part was the beatdown afterwards where Kingston's dropping the DDT and he gets up and he's like, one more. <laughs> and then he does it again. And then he gets back up and he's like, one, one, maybe one more. And the crowd's just booing him. You know, the limited crowd they have there. That was, was great. Uh, I love him escaping from Lance Archer and then immediately grabbing a chair in case Lance Archer decides to follow him which was just smart heel stuff. Eddie Kingston's been great in this. I also like, uh, for whatever reason, when Jake the Snake got up there and all these guys were in the ring, he immediately starts unbuttoning his shirt like he's going to get involved. <laughs> it's it's kind of like... Uh, these veterans want to fight. <laughs> yeah. people up, shit. It's like Arn taking off the Rolex when... <laughs> When Jake starts unbuttoning the top buttons of his shirt, it was it was funny. Um, yeah, it was a good segment. I mean, it's going to set up more tag matches, and I'm assuming Kingston versus Lance Archer, which they've been building to for a while. So those should be fun matches. Yeah, I have to agree with you. But, uh, yeah, liked AEW a lot. Uh, let's move on to NXT. All right, so we are live in Orlando again. How many times do I have to say Orlando and Jacksonville? We're going to be at the uh, Capital Wrestling Center. First match, Ember Moon versus Candice LeRae. And I like this match. Uh, Ember Moon, man, I, 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 I don't know if she switched because of her Achilles injury uh, or she's just doing a lot less technical stuff. She's doing a lot less high-flying stuff. She's more or less trying to be a powerhouse now. And she did a wheelbarrow suplex with Candice and smashed her into the friggin' announce table. That I thought was pretty awesome. She did a follow-away slam perfect in the middle of the ring uh, to her as well. Um, but I, I just liked how towards the end, uh, you know, when all the distractions started happening, uh, Indy Hartwell tried to get involved and save uh Pushed Cancel Ray away from the Eclipse, and then she got eclipsed. Uh, so she was later seen with a neck brace selling that. Um, but, you know, that is a violent move. But anyways, that would kind of distract and allow LeRae to hit the Wicked Stepsister on her for the pin. Um, and afterwards, you know, we had uh, Gonzalez and uh, Kai come out, and it looked like basically Amber was going to get dominated. And uh, we have Tony Storm. Uh, you know, come out and uh, she ends up just, you know, beating the living hell out of Amber Moon. We think that she's going to help her. Tony Storm turned heel. Now, I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, so it looks like it's going to be Tony Storm since apparently Indy Hartwell got hurt from that eclipse. Tony Storm, Candice LeRae, Dakota Kai, and Raquel Gonzalez. And that seems like one hell of a stacked team. I don't know like I said about Tony Storm turning heel. It seems like Dakota Kai, she did a great job uh, becoming high or heel after being a really, really solid baby face. Candace has found her way a little bit, but Tony, it just, I know that she said post uh, promo 
that she told everyone there was going to be a different side of Tony Storm, but I just don't know if this if I agree with this side. But we'll have to see. At least they're building one hell of a awesome uh, War Games match uh, because it looks like their opponents are Io Shirai, Rhea Ripley, Shotzi Blackheart, and Amber Moon. That should be pretty damn stacked. Uh, what did you think about all this, Chris? So I guess my my question would be: Is Indy Hartwell actually injured? Maybe not her neck, but something else. And or did they just not trust in the fact that she could put on a good War Games match? I think it definitely could be either, for sure. Because this hill turn kind of just came out of nowhere. I I think I would have probably built this a little bit more. Tony Storm's one of the better baby faces they have, because I don't really consider Io Shirai a baby face. Um, and Rhea Ripley just lost for the title, so I don't know who you're, you know, building up to go against Io at this point. Uh, obviously, we're not having a women's championship match on at War Games. That cleared that up because I I wasn't sure if Io was going to be part of the babyface team, and now that seems kind of like a guarantee at this point. I know a lot of people really don't like what they've done with Tony Storm's look, and now turning her heel, I don't know how the fans are going to react to that. I guess it just depends on what she actually does as a heel. Putting her with Candice LeRae and, and Raquel Gonzalez and those cats, I'm not super excited about even if it's just for a war games match also Candice LeRae is on the show way too damn much she has like yeah, three yeah. segments on the show it's a good point uh one thing that should be noted uh that they announced two things um the the theme for this takeover for war games itself is going to be one of my favorite very well-known uh, Black Sabbath songs. Um, uh, War. Oh my God! Why the fuck can't I think of this name? Help me out, Chris. Uh, War War Pigs. I, oh my God! I've played that song a million goddamn times on drums. Yes, War Pigs. <laughs> Check out Bill Ward if you're a drummer. He's very underrated. Uh, got great rudiments. But anyways, but I love how they played it off. Like they didn't. Note that legendary band, you know, Black Sabbath, uh, with one of their hit singles, War Pigs. They were like, check out Black Sabbath on iTunes for this album, Paranoid, with the single on it, War Pigs. Now available on all audio platforms. And I'm just like, what? If this is like Zeppelin or anyone, would you guys treat it the fucking same way? Are you kidding me? And then probably the second thing. <laughs> That was so fucking funny is when they introduced Kevin Owens on commentary and he pointed out Vic Joseph's amount of caked um, uh, makeup on his face and was like, hey, so I guess you just got out of the makeup chair there, bud. And he's like, yeah, thank you for letting everyone know how much makeup I have on my face, Kevin Owens. They're both, you know, he was laughing about it. That was pretty fucking funny. So, uh, yeah, but kind of discouraging with the whole use of Kevin Owens. But uh could you believe that with the Black Sabbath shit, man? Uh surprising, but maybe they just assume that, you know, looking at the ratings, all of their audience is between the ages of like 49 and 70, so they know who Black Sabbath is. I guess that's definitely possible. All right, well uh we had a, a segment with Legardo del Fantasma. And, you know, Santos Escobar, Raul Mendoza, Joaquin Wilder putting themselves over so highly 
but we're doing really well on 205 Live, in which I'm sorry, guys, no one fucking watches. Um, they talk about beating Jake Atlas, Ashanti Theodonis, and Swerve Scott. I wish the two of them, especially Raul, who might be the best in-ring worker out of all of them, would realize that they don't get anything out of that guy having the fucking Cruiserweight title. But, you know, they're trying to make it sound somewhat prestigious, how they've beaten Swerve Scott as well and so many others. And this new guy, Kurt Stallion, who I heard about stuff on the indies beforehand. I know they just signed him, so they're throwing him in the Cruiserweight division. Uh, He's going to be the number one contender, and Santos is not worried about it. Uh, they toast to their drinks, and that ends the segment. Were you uh, were you excited about the position of where they're going with Santos Escobar and his cruiserweight title? Honestly, if it's going to be on 205 Live, I I probably won't see it. So I I, I don't know. Have we have we proven that the 205 Live and the cruiserweight division is a failed concept at this point? I think we could. Uh, they. I I don't know, man. I I feel bad for Jake hey, Atlas because he gets murdered later on, and I thought that he would be the next cruiserweight champion. Hey, uh, if you're a wrestler in in one of these mainstream federations, if you will, the battle on Wednesdays, would you rather have the FTW title or the NXT cruiserweight title? FTW title because I have I have faith that they're actually going to do something with that. There you go. All right, um, out comes the Undisputed Era. They do their normal uh, entrance. It was good to see them, you know, together yeah, for the first time in a while and just, like, you know, just fully in force. Um, so Cole wishes McAfee was here tonight, So, but he's a giant coward, so Cole can't say that to his face. Cole says the best thing besides kicking McAfee's head off last week will be the two weeks uh, when he's trapped inside of war games. They all joke about beating up McAfee, Pete Dunn, and Odie Lorcan and Danny Birch. Uh, Cole brings up tonight's ladder match for the war games uh, uh, advantage and talks about that not only have they been undefeated for war games, but they've been undefeated on this concept itself of the uh, the ladder match to find out who goes first. Um, get the advantage on it. And they're tr- they're like talking about how he has such a disadvantage, Pete Dunne, because there's four of them. But then Kyle O'Reilly steps up and was like, hey, you guys saw what happened Halloween Havoc. You guys know what's what's going on with this. I need to take out uh, Pete Dunne. And they're like, all right, that that's fine. And uh, they all kind of hype him up for it. And, uh, yeah, that was that was it. It just – all of them really work well off each other, but Adam Cole is, is a phenomenal fucking promo, Chris. Have to agree with you there. I'm surprised that Adam Cole didn't rebuttal and say, yeah, but I held the title for like 400 days, so maybe I should be the guy trying to win the advantage. To, you know, show that he is still the leader of this group. But we got a great match out of it, and I love, I love Kyle O'Reilly. I thought his promo was good and made sense. I'm just surprised that Adam Cole wouldn't be the guy trying to secure this for his team. I also have some questions about the match when we get there, because maybe I missed something. Um, but yeah, when we get there, I'll bring it up. All right. Well, we have Mackenzie Mitchell backstage. Cancel Ray dismisses her. She starts trying to talk to Kota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. Even though the, 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 the Mackenzie got, you know, pushed away, the camera still stays on him so they can hear everything, but whatever. 
Um, and then she asked them, are you guys in? And they said, yep. And she talked to Mackenzie again. She said that I'm going to introduce you to my War Games team. We already talked about this. Kai Gonzalez and Tony Storm. And then uh, Storm says that she promised that, you know, there would be a change in her when she returned. So that was it. That was the announcement. Kind of already went over it. Uh, we uh, we see some of uh, Timothy Thatcher's um, uh, Thatch Ken students uh, watching in the back before he faces Kushida. And uh, back from the break, we get to a pre-recorded uh, WWE Black Friday promo with Candice LeRae and Johnny Gargano, who is wearing a Santa Claus beard. And that was probably the only funny thing and good thing about either one of them on the whole entire program, for me at least, uh, to be honest with you. Any uh, any statements before we get to Kushida and Thatcher? Uh, Gray is back in Thatch Cam. So after getting beat, I guess he has rejoined. That that was the kind of the biggest surprise out of this. Uh, Candice LeRae on the show way too much. Show some other people off. Give give some other people some time. Candice LeRae is already over. I I would try to build around. I don't I don't know. Build around some of these other females. Also, uh, Rhea Ripley. After what they do to her, <laughs> kinda she needs to win war games for the babyface team, in my opinion. Either her or Ember Moon, because they need a strong babyface. I agree. All right, so uh, Kushida, Timothy Thatcher, uh, should be a fucking awesome match. Uh, right before it's about to start happening, uh, Tomasa Ciampa comes out and he just puts steel chair down and sits on it on, on top of the ramp. Um. And this is uh, kind of fucking with Thatcher, even from the beginning, which Kushida is not someone you want to mess with when it comes to that. These guys were just having a great technical match on the floor, being able to advance each other. Uh, a lot of fun. Some people probably are going to find this stuff boring, but then I always say that you're boring. You're boring, uh, if that's the case. But um, just just some good shit. Towards the end, it would inevitably happen where Champa just suddenly stands up and closes his chair abruptly, which just uh, distracts Thatcher enough and then gets put in the Hoover board lock, and Thatcher tapped out. I thought this was an awesome match, great technical performance. I like that they have a lot of these guys that are available for this. I wish they still had fucking Matt Riddle, and I wish that uh, Arturo Huas didn't get fucking uh, hurt, but I, I like being able to see guys like this. So it looks like... Also, another cool thing is Somehow uh, Thatcher got his nose busted open. So when he was pissed off and searing about how angry he was, or when he got thrown to the outside and was close to Tommaso Ciampa, two different spots, he was bleeding out of his nose. He just kept this this demeanor on him. And at first it was pissed like, what the fuck are you doing here? And later when he lost, it was like, wow, he, I fucking lost. And it's because of this motherfucker. And Tommaso Ciampa said, you know, because remember – he said that he would have to find something for him to dislike him for, and because we had uh, Timothy Thatcher say, "I have no, I have no beef with you. I have no problem with you," and then he said, "Well, I guess he probably has a problem with me now," and exits. So Tommaso Ciampa versus Timothy Thatcher should be a good feud. I'm wondering where Kushida is going next, but I guess we'll have to wait. It's too bad that Arturo Huas hurt himself because that would be the perfect next person for me. What do you think? Uh, I mean. Kashida should be going for the title based on the amount of wins he's gotten recently. It's a good and point. Him versus Devitt will be great if they go that route. Um, or Balor, sorry. 
I liked this match. It started off a bit weird, like they were calling it in the ring, and maybe there was a communication breakdown or something. Kashida does speak English, obviously, but not not great. So maybe there was a little bit of a communication breakdown. But like once they really got into it, it was great. Like when they went from reversing each other into that ankle lock, and I think that's when uh, Thatcher got his nose kind of busted open was awesome that that's that the way that looks where Kushida has him in the ankle lock and Thatcher's bleeding the finish I have no problem with because it sets up towards um obviously Thatcher versus a Ciampa I will say I probably wouldn't have had the guy submit but that's just me since that's his entire gimmick is that he is the submission specialist I don't know that I would have had him tap here you know I have to be I have to agree with you Getting choked out and losing that way or pinned, like getting rolled up, that's, I think, a better way than the guy that's not supposed to and hasn't gotten submitted so far in NXT. Yeah, I mean, if you were going to do it, it, I would think that you would build to a submission match with Ciampa and then have and then have, you know, the big payoff match, which should be a submission match. Right. That's that's how this would work normally. Uh, but nope, they give it to you here. Which, I mean, I get that Ciampa cost him this loss, but uh, yeah, just just a weird choice to do the submission finish here. All right, so we get we get next a uh, package about what happened with the match with Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley, building up for Rhea Ripley's announcement later on. Um, and, and we also have an announcement that Kevin Owens is going to be hosting his own version of the KO show with special guest Leon Ruff. Um, when we come back from the break, uh, Pete Dunn is in the back with the tag champs, Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch, just hyping up Dunn and saying he's going to just destroy Kyle O'Reilly, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then we get to the ring, and there's a KO show. Um, they bring out the North American champion, Leon Ruff. And I like this because, well, I'm going to say the use of Kevin Owens, it definitely had me more pissed off until I saw where they're going with him on SmackDown. Because I thought this was kind of a waste, just in general. Uh, it, I guess it's okay to have this, but I was hoping the insults towards Leon Ruff that were kind of like, maybe not insults, maybe backhanded compliments, like I brought up earlier. But you know, he basically calls them out and says, like, you know, you're saying the same thing. Why don't you have like a little more energy about you? Why don't you tell the people how you feel? And then making fun of, you know, kind of deadpooling the line if you will, breaking, breaking the fourth wall, like, Oh, you said his name. Now he's coming out here. And like, it was good comedy stuff. It did kind of remind me of like Deadpool in a way, but uh, just to get him to come on to do all right. Commentary, funny stuff. Uh, like later on when Candace gets smashed or no, before him, when Candace gets smashed on the uh, table from that wheelbarrow sur- suplex from uh, Ember moon. And he was like, hi Candace, like stuff like that. It was funny. It was great. I was hoping for more. I was hoping that he was all of a sudden going to start beating the living shit out of Leon Ruff himself and announce, you know, I haven't gotten a title in NXT and throw himself in this title picture for TakeOver. But that didn't happen. No involvement with War Games. We had Johnny come out, obviously. Then he mentions Damian Priest. And Damian Priest comes out. And it's all a big, you know, talking the whole shtick with the uh, chairs. Where where uh, where he tries to give one to Johnny and Johnny's like I don't need this and throws it and then tries to get one for Damian Priest. Um, 
it was fine. It was funny. It's, it's, I guess it's set up this match. Uh, well, actually, since someone mentioned, you know, I, oh, Kevin Owens actually talked about, like, this seems like the time that Teddy Long would come out. Oh, it's too bad that we don't have NXT's version of Teddy Long. I love how all the intros, that he was like, one, two, three. There's like 10 seconds afterwards, and he's just, you know, kind of like trying to handle it. Like, oh, I guess I, I guess this place isn't like the main roster. So just like the other stupid comments he was making. But uh, William Rico came out, and he announced at War Games, the three of them, which we all knew was going to happen, for the North American title. And uh, then he said, play him. And that was it. That was the use of uh, Kevin Owens. And, uh, yeah, this was this was stupid. Wasn't happy with this, Chris. I'm glad that it set up the three-way match that we assumed we were going to get. Um, there was the funny line where they showed Leon Ruff, the title not fitting around him. And Kevin Owens was like, the same but- thing happened to me because I was so swelt. <laughs> <laughs> he used words like swelt. Which is funny. Um the beginning of this was very cringeworthy. I, Leon Ruff didn't seem very comfortable with what he was trying to accomplish comedy-wise, but once Gargano got in there and Priest got in there, it picked up. I mean, it was what it was. I just don't like these uh, Ms. TV, the, the Owen show, moment of bliss. They've done it so much that it's impossible for me to care about these segments, really. Yeah, I have to agree with you. All right, well, here's another match that we were so needing at War Games uh, this year coming out next. Oh, we did have an awesome package with Shotzi Blackheart with, uh, you know, uh, War Games. War Games, god dang it. War Pigs playing in the background while she's making whatever. I don't know if she's really improving her tank or she's making the cage, but we'll we'll, we'll find out, obviously. Uh, we got a pre-recorded interview with Finn Balor. Um, he said he laid the groundworks for uh, war last week. So whoever wins the upcoming war, war games, better not put checkers on the chessboard. Balor goes on to say if the winners of war have a problem, it's not hard to find him because the champion works on Wednesdays. Back to commercial. Uh, what they're forgetting to say was a terrible fucking line where he's like, yeah, the main cat's back. He referred to himself as the main cat. I'm sick of them playing in my kitty litter. Whoever the fuck wrote that for Finn Balor? Holy shit. Terrible fucking line. But everything else, not too bad. I'm glad that that – I think that means, uh, Chris, that Finn Balor's back next week. What? what? Well, he hit, he hit a line about the cat on his last promo, something about when the cat's away, someone will play or whatever. And look what the cat dragged in, and then he spread out Undisputed Era. That was why better is, than talking about being in your litter box. I don't know why the fuck you're bringing up litter boxes. Why the why the fuck is Finn Balor a cat now? I don't know. He, he should go back to the demon before they fucking turn him into a full cat gimmick. Have him dress like a lucha and wear cat ears or something. Uh, yeah, the promo was bad. And, and the fact that it was taped makes it even worse. Like... They couldn't have like watched that and been like, "That's dumb. We shouldn't do that with our heavyweight champion." <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, that's my uh, that's my thoughts on that. What was the camera? Did we talk about the camera grinds thing? Yeah, if you want to mention about it, you can. Okay, it sucked. And, that's, <laughs> and that strap match will probably be the worst match Takeover has ever that's- had. 
Oh, actually, we didn't get over, but I'll just say that he went against Jack Evans, somehow beat the living hell out of him, and then afterwards we had the announcement of the match that all of us don't give a fuck about with him and Dexter Loomis, and Dexter Loomis had a picture and a bunch of vignettes of Cameron being scared that was playing throughout the uh, the TVs on the place. It was a, uh, it was. I can't wait for this. It's gonna be a strap match. So- the only thing I have to say about the match is that the cave-in that he did, he landed foot first on Jake Evans' face. It looked nasty. Uh, so I don't know if that was a fuck-up or if they if he's just that damn light and good um, on doing that and landed on one foot. But it looked gnarly. Yep. Well, we're going to have to deal with that match. Hopefully it's good. You know, I mean, they could put on a good match. It just depends. And no zombies, please. Um, it's very ballsy to put on a strap match after the one that Cody had with Brody Lee and good then point. The, the people that you decide to do it are Cameron Grimes and Dexter Loomis It's <laughs> a good point alright so we had uh, Rhea Ripley she came into the ring she put over Io Shirai she said that she might not like her per se but she respects her and that she had a great match with her and she said that she's now going to focus on the women's NXT title and that's pretty much when Cancel Ray and Tony Storm come out to Candace's music. Uh, they mock uh, Ripley, you know, saying that she has nothing to do, basically, and bring out Io Shirai, who is over Raquel Gonzalez's um, shoulder, and, you know, come to the ring. Uh, they go in, and it was pretty awesome. Rhea Ripley just took on all of them, and just, you know, first she they ran in, she ran out, she fucking kicks Raquel Gonzalez in the face. She goes back in. She she takes out Tony Storm. She takes out Candice. You know, she's doing a decent job for herself. But then they eventually overwhelm her. So, like I said, not confirmed yet, but it seems very much like Rhea Ripley, Dakota Kai, or not Dakota Kai, Rhea Ripley, Io Shirai, um, and uh, Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart will be Team Shotzi against these four ladies. So, um, pretty good stuff. We would have another thing later where Candace was leaving and, you know, they, like I said, they showed, uh, Indy Hartwell with a neck brace on, I guess she's going to sell that and just, uh, talking about how they're going to destroy them. So there you go. And Johnny Gargano was there to put his wife over and he's, he's a sad individual. I'm sorry. Four Candace LeRae segments on this show. <laughs> Fucking four. <laughs> Um, I the best thing about this was I liked when Rhea outsmarted the heels there for a second. So when they all were running into the ring, she ran out the opposite side and hit that big kick on Raquel. Uh, that was awesome because you don't see people do that enough. It was smart. It was damn smart. All right, so what the fuck's going on with this next segment? So we have in a car that old uh, Chinese gentleman that was showed up with Boa last week and put that weird thing on his hand. Um, he is in the front seat staring at both, uh, Zylee and Boa, and they look like they haven't slept in days. They just, you know, just completely depleted. They're getting driven in a limo somewhere. Um, they, the car goes in the garage and they get out and, uh, there's a hooded woman. They start apologizing, uh, saying they, 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 they can win now. And they keep on begging and planning until the mystery woman lifts a finger and the master, or the, the the older gentleman, tells him to hush, lifts his fingers, and then puts two marks on them. They start freaking out. Uh, 
We see Flash the Boa and Lee and a mystery woman. Lee looks ready to fight again as a cryptic segment ends. I don't know what the fuck's going on with this. I, you know, I know they're trying, but it's just weird. I have a guess of who I think it is, and I don't think it is Tessa. It definitely looked like someone of Asian descent from what we saw of her face. But I could be wrong. Maybe it was just whatever. But I think I might know who it is, and I'm wondering if, if they're uh, if they're going there. But uh, what do you think about the segment? Uh, it brings intrigue on who it is. That's kind of it for me. And I have no idea who it is unless they're – I don't know who they would bring in, I guess. Well, I think it might be wait why why am I not spelling her name right? I'm trying to get her information up. I think it's Mako Satamura who was involved with the second um uh, May Young challenge. She got all the way to the finals. She's a legend. She's she's trained B Priestley, she's trained Tony Storm. Uh, Kairi Sane, she's trained a lot of the women. She's a little bit older. She was kind of a baby face in the 90s, but became pretty huge in Japan over in stardom. And she was in, like I said, the second Mayon Classic. There was word that they were trying to bring her to make her a part of the women's division, I thought in the UK, but, you know, she has this prestige. She's only 41, so she's not, you know, too old. And she fucking wrestles like... I don't know, I guess Bull Nakano. She's a badass, she's a powerhouse, but she's also a great technical wrestler. So I know she's Japanese, and obviously Boa and Xylee are Chinese, but I mean, unless they have another Chinese wrestler that I can't think of that would make a big deal, at least to the NXT audience, if they brought Mako Satomura in there, based on her match that year, the finals of the Mae Young Classic with Tony Storm, or maybe it was the semifinals where she beat her, she is fucking incredible in the ring. Would bring a cool dynamic if they make her like the leader of her own. I guess I don't know Yakuza triad, something like that. Um, there was a lady on Daredevil that it kind of reminded me. It's similar in concept. The older woman that could beat everyone's ass on the Netflix show. But um, that is my far far guess. I have no idea. But to the European you know audience that knows Asian wrestlers. She's kind of like not on the same level, but a lot of people look to her as like almost like a Walter in the women's division. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Uh, I don't know if that's the big name that people would be expecting from them drawing the storyline out so hard, at least from the American fan standpoint. That's a good point. It would be more for the diehards than anything else. But if you show off what you can do in the ring, then it kind of changes it, too. Unless they're repackaging uh, Mercedes Martinez, I guess. No, that doesn't make any sense, either. Uh, I would laugh really... I'm going to laugh really fucking hard if it's just Carrie Zane or something. Hey, if it's Carrie Zane, I'm down for that, as well. I'm definitely down for that. She's like, I'm totally good with wrestling and uh, NXT. I just don't want to get dropped on my head by Nia anymore. Yeah, I'm good on that. All right, so this is a pretty fucking funny segment, uh, just because of Kevin Owens talking to, um, uh, God damn it, uh, uh, um, females. Oh my God, the Glamazon. Why can't I think today? Beth Phoenix. Thank you, Beth Hall Phoenix. Of 
<laughs> Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. I'm not sexist. Don't get mad at me. Don't hate me. Anyways, so Everise is coming in. James Drake and Zach Gibson show up out of nowhere, beat the living fuck out of them. And so basically Beth Phoenix made like, a, like yeah, take it to them, because obviously Everise are asshole heels that always lose and shit like that. And Kevin Owens is like, no, they're from Montreal. Like, what are you talking about? So he, he defended them. But uh, in the tag division, we have James Drake and Zach Gibson. And I, I think Zach is great on the mic as a heel. I just don't know if I really care that much about this, honestly. I would have rathered – I know Trent, I think, just won. No, he lost to A-Kid. He lost that uh, – it would have been better if you brought Trent Seven and fucking Tyler Bate back over and had those two guys, the Mustache Mountain – uh, tag team running amok, then I don't know. Am, am I being mean? I mean, Drake and, and Gibson are good, but do you really care? No, but they have to try to do something with that tag division. So I didn't have a problem with this. At least they're trying to breathe some life back into it. Well, we have the Grizzle Young Vets back, so that's interesting. All right, so we have the ladder match for Pete Dunn versus Kyle O'Reilly. This was pretty fucking violent. <laughs> These guys both hit extremely hard. They're involving ladders. There was a nasty-ass spot where Pete Dunn got knocked off the top ladder and smashed on top of the other ladder that was in the corner behind him. Uh, there was just a lot of fucking... There was, there was some damage, I would say, in this match. Some damage. But uh, this would come down to some guy getting involved that had a mask on. And he uh, comes in and uh, distracts and takes out uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Pete Dunn wins. And as they, you know, I'm assuming that that was, was Pat McAfee. I don't know. Maybe they have another guy involved. Maybe this is going to be just like Dakota Kai and someone's going to turn on that team. Who knows? Wouldn't that be crazy? But um, I don't think it's obviously Kyle O'Reilly because he got his ass destroyed and thrown out completely out of the ring by his assailant, uh, which was another nasty spill. God, these guys just fucking just destroy each other with ladders and punches for that matter. But, um, yeah, we had uh, Pat McAfee's team, the Kings of NXT, standing tall. And, uh, you know, the Undisputed Era around O'Reilly just completely in disbelief. So... First time, the Undisputed Era is not – they don't have the advantage with War Games, Chris. Um, they're the baby faces in this. What's going on? Who was the mask guy? Was that Pat McAfee or is one of the Undisputed Era members actually a mole? So didn't they have all of Undisputed Era standing on one side of the ramp and all of – Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That's, that's right. So – they didn't explain this very well, but my guess is they couldn't leave those spots or it would be a disqualification. Because when the mask guy runs down, Undisputed Era just have to stare at the ring and watch this guy interfere in the match and watch their team lose. So I don't know, did I miss something with this? They might have explained it, but I, I didn't I didn't I didn't catch it. Okay, so I'm guessing that's what the gimmick was and why they were standing on the stage the way, the way they were, is that if someone left that circle, they would have gotten DQ'd. Uh, it wasn't Pat. I mean, it could be Pat in storyline, but he wasn't in the building. So <laughs> it was just some masked random guy, even if it turns out that it was Pat. Uh, it wasn't actually him 
who came in and did the interference, if that makes sense. And uh, my favorite spot of the match was early on when Kyle O'Reilly is going up for the title. Pete Dunn hits the ladder. And when he does, Kyle O'Reilly grabs the ladder and kind of spins it. So the ladder does like a 360 before he falls off. I've never seen anyone do that. And I thought that was like a really cool looking spot. I just have a fatigue for these ladder matches. They do them so often. Yeah, I would agree. But um, strong show. Um, you know, uh, the I'm trying to think of like any of the things that I found egregious was. It wasn't too much. I still don't understand why Rhea Ripley lost last week or they couldn't have figured out a way where she doesn't get a loss. But then again, I don't know what the hell we're doing past war games. Maybe she'll make her exit or something. It's uh, it's uh, interesting, but pretty good episode of NXT, pretty good episode of AEW. I think I liked AEW better, but uh, what do you think, Chris? I liked AEW a lot better this week. Um, as far as egregious things, they used Candice LeRae way too much on the show, in my opinion. I think you could have narrowed those segments down into one thing uh, and maybe had another match as opposed to all of the stuff they did there. War Games is next week or the week after? Um, it's next weekend, I believe. So okay. next week's to go. Okay, so yeah, it just seems like they they tried to smash an entire storyline into one segment with the female team. I guess uh, the latter match was phenomenal. was prop was definitely the best thing on the show. Outside of that, the Kushida Thatcher match was pretty good. I think they could have a better match if given a given given a different different date and not involving Champa because I didn't like the finish that much. Outside of that, the show was kind of eh. It was there. It was Kevin, there. I was more pissed off until what happened on SmackDown happened with Kevin Owens. Yeah, same thing with me, man. I really wish I, we could have had something different. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh I'm just, I guess I'm still the guy that's hoping that eventually Kevin's going to shake Vince McMahon and be like, hey, you're not fucking doing shit with us. Do you want to actually try to do some ratings on Wednesday? And then be like an invasion of some of the old school NXT alums, you know, him, Shinsuke, Cesaro, Sammy, they all show up and just wreck havoc on NXT. And we can kind of just try that for a little while and it doesn't have to be permanent, but just to fucking shoot up the ratings a bit, you know? Yeah. And I mean, Kevin's going to have to be the guy to do it. It seems like with that roster, because, uh, he's the one that went after them with the COVID stuff. He seems to be the guy that is able to get under Vince's skin enough to try to make changes. I think you muted yourself, bud. No, no, I'm still here. All right, so let's get on to the last show. SmackDown, man. I really actually like SmackDown. You know, I hate to say this. <laughs> I'm starting to actually like SmackDown more than NXT, usually on a weekly basis. NXT is trying to do these specials week to week to pop ratings, and I think it's taking away from their overall storytelling and building of matches to take over, which I think is more important. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree with you. All right. So we opened up SmackDown with, uh, Jey Uso 
who comes up and he starts, you know, just talking about how Survivor Series, you know, everyone's talking about the farewell to The Undertaker. They should be talking about his cousin, the WWE champion or universal champion, Roman Reigns, uh, and what he did by defeating Drew McIntyre. And he's going and just hyping him up and just giving him all this praise. And then Roman Reigns' music hits. And out comes Roman, who does not look happy at all, uh, followed by Paul Heyman, who looks like he's kind of worried for Jey Uso. So good at selling stuff with just facial expressions, Chris. My God. Anyways, so Roman, like I said, you know, I kind of said, like, I, I more or less compared it to uh, Jake the Snake with how he would be he would be very aggressive, but he would do it in such a low way. But obviously he's not, like, weird and malicious like Jake was with his promos. It reminds me of Don Corleone, you know, that, that, that type of godfather feel that he brings. And he just lets Jay have it, you know. He's, he's like, I, did I ask you to come help me? You know, regardless if, if that that kind of might have caused the win, did he really need Jay? And Jay doesn't have a lot to say. And he said, I told you to leave. You didn't leave. You didn't listen to me. And, you know, you need to basically start showing me that, that showing me some stuff soon in the future. Or, like he said beforehand, him and Jimmy will be toast and their families will be outed from the overall family. So, just... uh. Just some aggressive, aggressive nature with Roman Reigns against his cousin, Jey Uso. But Reigns says that how Jey is is making him feel through his failures. And Reigns doesn't like how Jey is making him feel. He gets on to him about, you know, being, even if he was the last person involved, the fact that they got swept. And that that represents SmackDown. And that Roman Reigns is the face of SmackDown. Reigns drops the mic and walks out of the ring. As his music starts up, Reigns marches up the ramp with Heyman right behind him. A disappointed uh, Jey Uso looks as they leave. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, – we had – well, before, I guess we were supposed to have Otis going against King Corbin. We hear that wonderful blue-collar solid music play. And uh, Jay is exiting as Otis is entering, and Jay just starts destroying him with a fucking chair all through up and down – the um, the ramp over by the ring and just he mounts him and starts punching him until finally people, uh, including Chad Gable, uh, get Otis and Chad Gable's helping his his little buddy because now they're together. Uh, now Chad Gable is the manager for Otis. Good job. Anyways, but um, besides that egregious shit, I thought everything else was great. I like this direction of Jay Uso. He's got nothing to lose. Well, he does actually have something to lose. He needs uh, the approval of Roman Reigns, and I like Roman Reigns' demeanor and his attitude. It's it's good. It's it, like I said, it doesn't remind me of a wrestler. It reminds me of uh, you know uh, Vito Corleone. Yeah, that's I don't know how else to explain it. Just he's the Godfather. Yeah, it's definitely playing more towards the uh, Italian part of Roman than the Samoan part of Roman. Is he like half Italian, half Samoan? I'm not sure. I hope so. <laughs> but uh, yes, he's definitely the he is definitely the Don in this situation. Uh, I, he, he they've been giving him great one-liners, and I don't know if he's coming up with this or if they're coming up with this. He had the one where against Drew McIntyre where he's like, "No one watches Raw," 
he's like, I don't watch Raw. In fact, no one watches Raw, which was really funny. And then this week, he's like, what do you think? I'm some bitch sitting around waiting for Thanksgiving leftovers, <laughs> which was good. Uh, the Otis shit, I don't care about at all. I'm, I'm done caring about Otis. They're not going to do anything with the guy. He's just going to be a mid-card comedy gimmick forever. Well, um, you were right. Half, uh, half Samoan, half Italian. And that's, uh, that's some roots, man. That's all I got to say about that. That's a, uh, you have that tribal warrior aspect to you with this prestigious king and, 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 you know, more spiritual concept. And then you have the Italian that's like, I'm going to take all of you out and kill you. And, uh, I won't cry at all at your funerals. So fuck. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a great gimmick. Roman is the highlight and he's really lit a fire under SmackDown. And, and I could see people arguing that this is a better show than NXT. So the fact that you've been enjoying SmackDown as much as NXT, if not a little more on some days, that's not surprising. Yep. I'd have to agree. Well, SmackDown tag team championship uh, match between the street profits and Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler. They had like a little promo in the back calling them out and uh, they made it to the ring and we had a match. We had a match. I like how, what, what the hell did there, the, the, the writers are fucking idiots because the, even their insults that they gave the street profits didn't make sense. Uh, not so much the HBK reference, but that's kind of over been done with Dolph Ziggler. Uh, but saying that Robert Rue can only grow a mustache Bro, he's had a beard again for a long time. He hasn't done the just mustache gimmick in a while, so that was just some dumb shit. I don't, I don't blame Dawkins and fucking uh, Montez Ford. I, I blame the writers, the fifty fucking writers that are gonna make everything stupid. But anyways, this is a pretty good tag match, man. Uh, especially when Bobby Roode was in. Uh, I liked the spot where we had Montez Ford actually fuck up, and I think for the first time on his giant fucking frog splash, just eat shit. When Dolph moved, I thought uh, that was pretty good. Um, like I always say, I like that new move that that Dawkins does. It's 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 almost like a flip, rotating neckbreaker thing. Thought it was really cool. Got to come up with a name for it and tell uh, the commentators because they keep on pointing it out, but they don't know what to call it. But uh, somehow, uh, Rude took advantage and comes from behind, rolling up Ford for a pin to the win. And now Robert Rude and Dolph Ziggler have a championship match uh, in their future against the Street Profits, but I doubt they'll win, so who cares? What do you think? I just always wonder when Robert Roode's uh, contract's up every time I see <laughs> <laughs> uh, The promo was terrible. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't know why they gave them that line. And, and like, also, look, Fans like diehard fans do know that Dolph Ziggler does a lot of HBK isms, but like actually making the joke that you're wrestling HBK is kind of, you know, don't Stupid. kick the guy. You're making you're at that point, you're burying the opponent that you need to get a win over. So you're not putting yourself over at all. Like, I, I don't I don't know who that helps. There's just there's a lot of things about that promo. I didn't like the mustache was one of them as well. But yeah, uh, Robert Rude, James Storm's back in Impact for right now. Maybe get out of your contract and see if you can get Bear Money back together. <laughs> Shit. We can only hope, Chris. We can only hope. 
All right, so uh, we had Kayla Braxton backstage with uh, Daniel Bryan asking about getting the chance to turn the Intercontinental title vision into reality. Bryan says his strategy is acceptance. He goes on about accepting how dangerous Jey Uso is these days, accepting how Sammy is as delusional as he's been for the last 15 years they've known each other. He goes on about Sammy thinking he's the greatest IC champion ever. Uh, but obviously is delusional on that as well. Brian is here to break Sammy's delusions, despite what Sammy says. He's not out to get Sammy. He's, he's out to get the uh, Intercontinental title, um, and he'll be one step closer once he beats him in this non-title match tonight. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was basically it. We also had a nice little get-together with Kayla when we came back from break with the Mysterio family, and they're all happy that Seth's gone, and and, you know, and, and, and Dominic's doing great and Ray's proud of his daughter who's finally become a woman and dating a guy that's 13 years older than her. I'm just kidding. It's not really that big of a deal. People are making a big deal of nothing. <gasps> Anyways, Murphy and, and, and they're so happy. And and then, of course, King Corbin has to come over and start pissing on their parade and saying that too bad Dominic couldn't get your skills. And it's coming from. Uh, Baron Corbin saying that, and I like Baron, but come on. Anyways, and then uh, you know, talking about having a poor judgment and character like, like uh, his daughter does, and uh, you know, sets up a match later with him and Murphy. But um, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, that was that was that. I like the first shit with Daniel Bryan. I'm I wasn't a big fan of the Mysterio family with uh, Baron Corbin. What'd you think? Same. I thought the Daniel. Uh, uh, the Daniel the Bryan Daniel. promo was pretty good. The uh, the Corbin shit. I, the Corbin. I he's he's terrible on the mic at this point in his career with what they give him to do, where he just shows up and trolls people. It's it's not good. Uh, also, with Seth Rollins, wouldn't it have made more sense if he was going to be the sacrificial lamb to give a chair to Sheamus and have Sheamus murder him with the chair? So at least it would make sense that he's injured. And then you could have had Sheamus get eliminated by DQ and then just the next guy pin Seth. So it was a one for one. I'm still pissed off about that War Games thing. Yeah, what would have been the best thing to do is not do that at all and try something else. Fucking stupid. Um. Anyways, we watched the uh, Undertaker's uh, Final Farewell segment again. Uh, this was the updated one with what actually happened at the end of Survivor Series. Uh, really, I, I've watched it every single time. Uh, I've watched it on Raw, and I watched it on SmackDown. So, uh, just really enjoyed it. So it's a, it's a good. They're, they're good with their, their, uh, their programs. Um, WWE IC ch- Champion match: Sami Zayn versus Daniel Bryan. Chris, I feel like this was the match, and they didn't give him enough time. But the way that they worked this match was much more akin to what me and you wanted at fucking WrestleMania where that became just Sammy evading Daniel Bryan the whole entire time and being so chicken shit that there wasn't any type of offense and defense. These guys were doing a lot of technical stuff. They were just going all over the place. Um, I thought it was an awesome match. The one thing I didn't need to see is the brain buster that Sammy gave uh, fucking Daniel Bryan on the apron. And if you watch it the second time, you see that Sammy Zayn made sure to rotate him enough where he felt basically on his back and upper shoulder blades, but it looked nasty. And I just don't know if we need Daniel Bryan doing that. Also with his uh, suicide dives later, it's like, I know he wants to do what he wants, but I don't know. That type of shit scares me. 
But uh, we had Sammy uh, fighting, uh, you know, towards the end of the match, it was the part that kind of ruined it because we're extending it and we're getting him involved with, with or Daniel Bryan, I should say, involved with Jay again because what happened was Sammy uh, took the fight with Daniel Bryan towards the backstage and all of a sudden Sammy comes running back out to the ring before the 10 count and wins the match uh, due to count out victory, some of the shit that he has been doing. And we shoot to the back, and Jay Uso is beating the living fuck out of Daniel Bryan. Kevin Owens comes in, pushes Jay away. Jay tries to, you know, swing at Kevin Owens. He grabs, literally, like, palmed his head and shut and like pushed him the fuck back and got right in his face. I thought it was a really, really well done. Like, Kevin Owens is good at making something look aggressive and real, and this version of Jay definitely reflects that. But uh, yeah, Jay got involved in the whole entire thing. Uh, went over, you know, to go gloat to his uh cousin about it his cousin was somewhat pleased it seemed for him taking out daniel bryan the way he did and then kevin owens came up and was like i'm sick of your family crap getting involved in what's going on he goes you might want to you can sit on your pedestal you can sit at the end of your table but don't get your shit involved basically with what's going on at this wrestling place you don't own everything essentially and uh reigns was not happy about that and just gave the look to jay to handle him. So we're, that was going to get set up for the main event of tonight, Kevin Owens versus Jey Uso. But um, I loved Kevin Owens and all this. I love what we got of the actual wrestling with Sami Zayn and Daniel Bryan inside the ring. And it's just kind of keeping a lot of stuff open for feuds. You know, you have obviously Sami and Daniel Bryan. You have Daniel Bryan eventually probably with Roman Reigns. You have Daniel Bryan and, and Jey Uso. You got Kevin Owens. It's, it's it's uh, making layers, and I think that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Got it before you. Uh, <laughs> I have to agree with you on agree this one. You. I think this was set up really great. I loved Kevin Owens in this segment. Jay looked great as being a very aggressive person against Daniel Bryan. The match itself was good. The finish was good because now you can set up a three-way match for that title if you want with Jay, Daniel, and uh, Sammy. You could even have Jay win the title because Roman decides he's going to spear half the people or something. Uh, especially if you're going Kevin Owens versus um, Kevin o- Kevin Owens versus Roman first, and then that can build later on to Daniel Bryan versus uh, Roman if you want to do that. Because I don't think they're putting the belt on Kevin if I'm just being completely honest. But it'll be a fun feud. Lots of layers, like you said. This is good. This was all good shit. Good shit right here. All right, so we had a match with Natalia and Bianca Belair, and out to come on commentary and drive Michael Cole's night into a tizzy was Bailey, past champion, who was just scouting the match between Natalia and Bianca Belair. And this was there to get what I thought was going to happen. Bianca Belair um, and Natty were fighting outside towards where Bailey was sitting. Uh, Bailey got up and was trying to distract Bianca. Natalia went to go hit Bianca. Bianca got out of the way. She was able to stop uh, before she nailed Bailey. Then Bianca did the same thing, and Natalia got out of the way, and she just completely punched Bailey in the face. Natalia takes advantage of it, and we had the two of the ladies go at it. Bianca Belair would uh, then get uh, Natalia, I should say, rolling her up for the pin, and then afterwards Bianca celebrates the middle of the ring as Bailey yells, on the ringside, pissed off that she got punched in the face, and uh, yeah, that seems like it's going in that direction. Do you do you agree with me? 
Yeah, and I think this is the feud that everyone wanted to see, right? Because me and you've been talking about this one for like a month that Bianca needs to probably get get a win over Bailey and then challenge Sasha Banks because that's that's the best thing they can do with the SmackDown's women's division right now. Yep. Next match, I was not a fan of with the booking at all. And, you know, I kind of took a shot at Baron Corbin's in-ring work. It's actually, we, we've said this before, it's actually not that bad. I like some. Of, I like a signature and his finishing move. But why the fuck are you going to get the heel be the guy that's the odd man out Why the fucking group of people on the baby faces side is deflecting, interfering, and causing the guy to lose? Honestly, Murphy could take fucking uh, Corbin. I know we're now setting that up for next week. I guess without any type of interference, maybe banning them from ringside. But who who gives a shit about this? This is who you have for Murphy next? Is Baron Corbin? I thought this match was really unappealing. Didn't like all the interference. I didn't like that the baby faces were interfering. It was just stupid. It made not a lick of sense. And I don't blame Baron Corbin for being pissed about that while the Mysterios were laughing and celebrating. Uh, just thought it was really a dumb decision-making, Chris. Have to agree with you because the, I mean, if the end goal is to get Buddy Murphy over, just have him beat the guy. He just beat Seth Rollins. So you're telling me he, he needs like outside interference to beat Baron Corbin. Who is Baron Corbin in comparison to Seth Rollins? You get what I'm saying? Like he he didn't need it. No, I agree with you. Uh, All right. So we got a confirmation on the KO Jey Uso match. And then we have, uh, you know, Sammy uh, coming up in a conversation with Biggie and Apollo Crews and Sammy talking shit to both of them and, how she, you know, to basically move out of his way because he has a uh, an interview with Kayla Braxton in the background. And, uh, you know, kind of calls out Apollo Crews for losing to him. And Apollo's pissed, obviously, because he put his fucking legs and tied them up underneath the ring so he couldn't do anything. But, uh, you know, Biggie calms down Apollo. And he's like, I got this, I got this. And so, you know, Biggie gets in Sammy's face. Uh, he's taunting him. He's, he's talking shit to him. Uh, and then starts kind of joking back and forth with them. And then, you know, he basically said that for 10, like, you know, told Sammy's concept that it took 10 seconds to beat Apollo. It took 10 seconds to beat Daniel Bryan, uh, talking about the fucking count out victory. And he's like, you know, it takes 10 seconds, right? And he grabs his hand and he holds it for 10 seconds while he's just destroying it. And Sammy is like, you know, just looks all pissed off. And then he walks off laughing. Kayla asks if the interview's still going on. And Sammy yells at her. So another layer, Chris. Looks like Big E could be involved in the IC belt race along with Daniel Bryan and, and other people. I could see that. Sorry, uh, someone decided to have a drag race next to my house. I could I could see them definitely doing that layer. Um are they going to put Big E and Apollo Crews in a tag team and call it, like, New Day 2? No, I hope not. I, I hope they have more faith in Big E, because I, I thought he had a good thing going, and then obviously they struck gold with Roman turning heel, and it seems like he's been put on the back burner, so he would be great to be in the uh, IC conversation. At least, you know, you you have two different title pictures here, and, and both are interesting to talk about on SmackDown. 
Whereas on NXT or on Raw, I, I don't think that same conversation is happening outside of, well, actually on NXT, I don't think the conversation is happening anywhere outside of the women's division right now, but uh, it's a different story for a different day. Yep. All right. We uh, go back to Cole and Graves and Billy Kay interrupts. She has headshots with her resume on the back offering to take the show from them. And Cole is not amused. It was great stuff. Probably the finest work of Billy Kay. All right. We go to a backstage promo from Carmella. She's talking herself up. You know, it gets to the point where she always asks off screen for a glass of champagne. And you see Sasha Banks hand handed to her. And then she throws it in her face and starts beating the living hell out of her. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was, it was a good jump. So, we're, we're getting that feud. I just, it's just someone for Sasha to, to rip through, right, right, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it should be a pretty easy win for Sasha since Carmella can only throw super kicks. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so our last match, Jey Uso versus Kevin Owens. Man, this is another fucking hard-hitting match. Um, I mean... I swear to God, it was like Kevin Owens was getting his arm worked on for a majority of the match, and it was a very good strategic point by Jey Uso because he was deflecting his ability to be able to do the pop-up powerbomb and a lot of the other power moves that obviously KO can do. So, um, you know, from from wrapping it around a bottom rope to taking it and throwing him on top of it, Jey Uso is showing off once again, and like we keep on saying, doing really good things as a singles wrestler. Um, I like that part where Owens uh, hit the super kick um, ringside and then another one uh, just knocking him over the barrier. And uh, then we went to commercial. We came back uh, and just had more, you know, going back and forth. Uh, Owens suplex fucking Uso on the apron. Looked nasty as hell. And then Uso goes back after his arm. When we get back, we kind of have that part where, like I said, Jey Uso is about to get the pop-up powerbomb, and Owens can't get him up. And, uh, you know, it was getting to the point where Owens almost hit him with the uh, stunner twice, and he uh, avoided it, and then he got scared kind of and went outside, grabbed a chair, and smacked him with it, and the ref called for a DQ. So after this, you know... Uso delivers another chair shot to keep uh, KO down in the middle of the ring. We see Reigns and uh, Heyman watching backstage. Uso clears the announce table and comes back in, but Stone drops him with a stunner. We see Reigns and Heyman again, and Reigns is upset. You see uh, Heyman really worried. Uh, they go back to the floor, and Owens tosses Uso over the announce table. Owens brings the chair over and uploads on Uso with it, beating him over the back while yelling at the camera, taunting Reigns and talking trash about he fears no one. Owens delivers a chair shot after chair shot as the referee tells him that's enough. Owens turns back to the camera and says he does not fear Reigns. Reigns and Heyman are watching the monitor. Reigns looks more pissed and Heyman looks even more in fear. Owens tells Reigns if he's not a problem with him, Come say it to his face. Owens stands on top of the announce table, yelling at Reigns to come and find him. Owens says he's the head of the table now as he puts the chair towards the end of the table. 
Uso is crawling uh, at, into ring sign. Owens runs in, taunts Rain some more, drops him with another stunner, and says that he's going to take out Rain's whole entire family. Owens goes back to the announce table and sits at the head of it again, taunting Reigns and asking where he is. Reigns watching from the back as Owen tells him he will be waiting. A furious Reigns crosses his arms and looks down at SmackDown. At SmackDown on Fox goes off the air. Um, fuck yeah. No, I don't expect Owens, like you said, to get the title from uh, Reigns, but you can have stuff involved of having a good feud and some badass matches. And I'm sorry, Kevin Owens, as goofy as he can be, sometimes is someone that's believable to be a tough opponent for anybody. And this will be, I think, a fun layer added in, um, provided probably with Daniel Bryan taking on Jey Uso and maybe some tag matches set up between Jey and Roman against the two of them. I think this is going to be really good, and I loved – this is the best promo from Kevin Owens in a very long time. He was – he wasn't scared. I loved it when he fucking put himself at the head of the uh, announce table. This whole thing was awesome to me. It's awesome and so sad because they could have been doing this with Kevin Owens for like five years. <laughs> because this is the Kevin Owens people love. Um, I know people like the, the comedy side with him and Jericho and, and Sammy and that stuff's fun. But the Killstein kill, the fight Owens fight, that's what people want to see. And uh, it channeled all of that. The match with him and Jay was really good. Uh, I love him going back after Jay after he's already demolished him and hitting another stunner. Uh, sitting down at the head of the table, just being the cocky Canadian asshole that Kevin Owens can be, it was great. And if you if you want to talk about Shades of Austin, this was Shades of Austin rock. Yep. Very similar. So uh, maybe we'll get that we'll get a video package with that Limp Biscuit song headed into a paper. This time I'm gonna let it all come out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll get it in French, you know, because he's from Montreal. <laughs> I love KO, though. You know, he's definitely someone. Like, I feel like the tippity-top right now, Roman's definitely there. But I feel like he's up there with, I would put him over even Seth Rollins, because I think that people weren't digging Seth Rollins the last couple of months. Um, maybe Drew's at least being pushed more to them. But Kevin Owens is always a force to be reckoned with, and you can use and utilize if they would fucking do that. So here's some more matches and hopefully a badass brawl between the tribal chief and the KO show. Yeah. And I, I mean, the thing about Kevin Owens is he usually takes advantage earlier before. I mean, I, you're not going to get the powerhouse match that you had with Drew McIntyre, but you could get Kevin Owens hitting a pop-up power bomb on reins onto the apron or something so that it comes in looking like more of an even match for what Roman is currently. Uh, good shit. Kevin Owens, if they would have, if they always booked him this way, I think he would be in a lot better position in this company and a lot more over. But, you know, they've done what they did. He's still great. He's definitely one of their top stars. I would put him in the top five. Yeah. I would say AJ's a little higher. Roman's higher. To some extent, Orton's higher. Maybe Daniel Bryan. And then, like, Kevin Owens would fall there if I was trying to rank them by who's over in their singles division. Yep. Drew's up there, too. But then again, 
You know, with yeah, AJ guess... and, and Randy, it's kind of hard because they're legends and they've been around for a long time. So they already have credibility. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I, for whatever reason, I admitted Drew, but I shouldn't. I think Drew's, uh, the only thing about Drew's run is that you didn't have fans. Really? Yeah. I think, I yeah. think that he's more over than people think. I, I haven't heard anyone really saying anything negative about Drew McIntyre. I'm not the biggest Drew McIntyre fan. I think that he's had a lot better matches. Um, but there are those lulls in some of his matches, similar to the one with him and Roman, where they start out slow and then they get really good. It, it's, it, it's, if, you, if, you, if you're not a fan of Orton or if you're not a fan of Triple H, I don't know that you're necessarily going to be a big fan of McIntyre. That's a good point. Well, um, I think that's the show, guys. Uh, we went over a lot of different stuff. Uh, we went over some of the highlights on Monday Night Raw. We talked New Japan, MLW. Just went and talked a little bit about Impact as well. Then we went into the Wednesday Night Wars, uh, gave you reviews on AEW Dynamite and NXT, and closed it off with SmackDown. We also gave you our review of Survivor Series. We don't got a pay-per-view this week, but we got some big stuff that we're going to be talking about uh, with the show outcomes of next week as well. You know, b- b- between winter is coming and, and giving you results of that, which should be an awesome show. Uh, also talking about, uh, I believe, NXT uh, takeovers next weekend. So if I'm wrong on that, I'm an idiot. You can blame me, but I'm pretty sure that's also there. So should be a big show regardless. Um, thanks to all of our old listeners for listening. To our new listeners, go to geekvibesnation.com. That's geekvibesnation.com. You'll find news articles there from our various writers on a lot of different geek-related content when it comes to comic books, movies, wrestling, video games. We talk a lot about a, a different array of, of new subjects. And we also have links to our social media at Instagram, at Twitter, at um, at, at Facebook, geekvibesnation.com. Pretty sure we have a TikTok account too, so check that out. And then you can listen to audio platforms uh, various different ones. Uh, just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance on Google. We also have a bunch of them on geekvibesnation.com available for you to click. But if you search Wrestling Geeks Alliance on Google, Red Circle Media, you know, we, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes. We're on everything. So check that out. And, uh, yeah, the, thank you, Chris, for doing the show with me, of course. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday and have yourself some late noon beers. Uh, I, I'm, I definitely will. And uh, if you guys want to talk to me on Twitter, you can be at, at Chris R. Patton. I'm also at Chris R. Patton on Instagram. Don't use that as much. But uh, I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving and a happy Black Friday, I guess. And, uh, yeah, everyone be safe out there as you're traveling around. Watch out for the police. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't have any projects right now. Skates Throats, if you like hockey, we have a bunch of back-cataloged episodes. Obviously, the season hasn't started, so there's nothing there. And um, that's pretty much it for me. Thank you, Dane, as always, for having me. Great talking wrestling with you. And, uh, yeah, that's it for me. And uh, we haven't figured out the name of it, but I'm pretty sure recording next Sunday, uh, the first uh, horror show. We'll just call it the horror show. I don't fucking know. But um, I'm pretty sure Chris and Alex will be joining me, and we'll be talking about The Exorcist and The Exorcist of Emily Rose. So look for that the following Monday. So thank you guys so much. You have a good one. Peace out. And what do I usually say after this, Chris? Let the geek vibes be with you.
There you go. You stuttered a little bit, but fuck it. Let the geek fight be with you. All right. Bye, guys.